Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Trying to to uh, position expectations so high that you can't guarantee delivering. But the, part, the I think really what his point is is that he knows we have a talented team. He knows there are guys that that understand what it takes to win at a high level, at a consistent level, and what it takes to get to October and what it's like to win in October. And so when you have those those attributes or those traits, you can you you can easily connect dots to getting there. Obviously, for all of us that have been around the game a long time, we know there's other things that also factor into that. And, and that's good fortune, good health, good luck, the, to, to, to name a few. That was John Mosaloc in spring training talking about the Cardinals and his manager, Ollie Marmel, who told everybody that would listen, this is a World Series contending team. We're going to win the division. We're going to get to the playoffs, and then we're going to go on a run to the World Series. Those are the expectations. Anything less is a disappointment. Mobit came out and basically said, whoa, 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 <laughs> winning the division would be a successful season. And Alex, that's what's on the line tonight. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. tonight. Technically, the Cardinals can win the division. All they have to do is get a win. They have a magic number of three, but because they would win the tiebreaker in the season, uh, season series against Milwaukee head to head tonight, if they were to win this game, they would win the division. They can pop the champagne, be ready to go. They are locked into the number three seed for the playoffs. Basically, the rest of the season, for all intents and purposes, doesn't matter. Now, we know that's not true because they got some real stuff to work on. We'll get to all of that. But I do think this is a big deal, and I don't want to undersell how big of a deal it is because it's something we all kind of expected them to do. Winning the division is a huge thing for the Cardinals for the Brewers, for whoever was going to do it. This is a really big deal. It's only the second time that the Cardinals would win the division since 2015, which seems kind of crazy when you think about it. This is something that was a Cardinals invitational every year for about a decade. And then over the last five or six years, it's been more difficult. So I hope they get it done tonight. I, At a minimum, they got to get it done at some point over the next two days. But I, I, if they do, when they do, 
we should be celebrating because that's a really cool accomplishment for this team to be able to get through. Yeah, I think I read earlier today it would be their 12th NL Central title if they win tonight, and it would be the most in any division that was established since 1994. Wow. So it goes to show you how dominant the Cardinals truly have been since the early 90s, which, again, uh, kind of tells you how lucky Cardinals fans are to have that competitive team for as much as they have been. And, and you're right. I I still thought it was going to be more of a challenge this season than it seems like it is now, although they still do have some work to get done considering how much the offense has struggled. The pitching is in a little bit of a rut right now. But here's the thing for me. If you want to judge a team of how they're going to perform in the playoffs, and I know we did that against San Diego and the Dodgers and when they played the Braves, do it when there's something on the line for teams. And I know something was on the line in the Dodgers and Padres series, but they can attain clinching the division tonight against Milwaukee, the team that's still trying to chase them. For me, that's a good measuring stick of saying, hey, the offense has been struggling. Hey, your pitching hasn't looked really good over the last couple of games, but you know there's something that you're fighting for tonight. How do you go out and do that? It's an elimination-style game, and I know it's not the end of the world if they lose this one, but well, I would have... old famous Army quote? The Jam the knife into the brain and kill the opponent. Like, that's what this needs to be. And for me, offensively, that's what I'm going to be focusing in on for a team that's got this sitting in front of them. And the Cardinals killed them last time around. Absolutely. When, when Albert Pujols hit that home run, that was it. It, it was sayonara for this Brewer series. Yeah, Taylor Rogers ev- hasn't been seen since. Everybody knew it at the time. Now you can really have that final finish him moment for Mortal Kombat. Mortal Tanner, Kombat. I know you don't no, know, no, you don't I know that, that video game. I got that. I do know that video game. But yeah, this is this is that night for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I'll be honest, it, it's kind of a night that I wasn't certain that you'd see at the beginning of the year. How often do we have those conversations of are the Cardinals and Brewers the same team? How Who really has the edge in the division? And I always kind of lean towards the Brewers. I thought the Brewers were the better team coming into the year, and then the Cardinals ended up, they were behind them for a while, but it never got out of reach like it did last year, where they went through the June spell and it, the division got away from them, and even though they had the big winning streak, they could never get back to them. But this year it was different. They were able to stay within in fighting range. They make the trades at the deadline and did more than what the Brewers did. In fact, the Brewers basically sold off at the deadline. And they're able to get to their goal, 90 wins, and go and attain another division title, which is very impressive for the St. Louis team. Do you guys think that this is enough for it to be a successful season? Like, what needs to be added on to this? They've got the 700 home runs from Albert Pools. That's obviously a success. Wayno and Yachty were able to achieve their big milestone, a record that we'll probably never see broken again. The rookies have come up in most of them, even though they have fallen off since. But most of them had successes to differing levels at some point this season. Uh, You were able to patch together the rotation at the deadline. All of this was enough, we would believe, at some point over the next couple of days, to be able to win this division in 2022. Is that enough? If they don't go on a run in the playoffs to define this as a successful 2022, or do you need to see more given that it is for sure the end of Yachty and Albert and possibly the final year for Wayno? I mean, successful in terms of excitement, I think it's considered a success with everything that you just mentioned. But successful for me coming into the season was I think you got to get out of the DS. Like you've 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 gone too many years of just being that team that's either in the wild card and out or gets to the division series and out. I think you got to get into the championship series for me to deem the season as a success. Show me that you're growing towards something rather so you, than regressing. So just so I understand this correctly, you have to win the wild card and then get to the DS, or you have to get to the no, NLCS. You got to get to the NLCS. Okay. You got to win the DS, in my opinion. So you for have it to, to be a the success. Mets. Yeah, that's what you're asking them to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
See, I probably have even higher expectations. I think it's the World Series. For, for it to be a successful season, I mean, given what we know now? You have a MVP caliber. You have probably the MVP favorite in Paul Goldschmidt. Nolan Arnato is wow. potentially going to be number two. I know there's a lot of questions with the rotation, but at times the rotation the has looked really good. I know, but the, but you've got MVP caliber players in that lineup. You've got our pools, Yadier Molina on their final run, potentially Adam Wainwright on the final run, and you've got one of the best closers in baseball. So, like, in my opinion, that sounds like what should be a equation that should equal to, hey, that could be a World Series caliber team. So, I think success, a complete A plus success. Yeah, that's not what I'm is asking. World though. Series, like a, but I, I still think success is a World Series appearance. Every season, an A plus success is a World Series. Yeah. Now, last year, like making the playoffs was a success. Like this year, I oh, think see, it I, changed with Albert Pools retiring, Yadier Molina retiring. MV, two MVP guys in your lineup, and you've got uh, a rotation that, though it has struggled lately, is better on paper than what it was last year when you entered the playoffs. Look, if you get bounced in the wild card, this is not a success for me. That's where I'm at. I think you got to get to the DS. Like, if, if you lose to the Mets, there's no shame in that this year. If Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett in back-to-back-to-back games with that lineup that they've put together now, if that's what beats you, there's no shame in that. Now, is it going to be disappointing? Of course. I'll be sad that they lost, and I will wish that they were able to advance to the NLCS, but I don't think that deems it a failure of a year. I think you can have a successful season if you win this division the way that they should over the next couple of days. You get out of the wild card round, and then you put up a decent fight in the DS. I think that would, for me, at this point, given what we know about this rotation and how I don't know what it's going to look like in the playoffs. Honestly, my genuine answer right now, if you told me, hey, pick the three guys that you expect to win or expect to start for the Cardinals in the wild card round, I, I might go over three. Like it, it might be a situation like my football picks each of the last two weeks where I just go over. That's totally in play. So I, I can't sit here and tell you like if they get out of the wild card round with those questions in the rotation and the guys that they are counting upon in the, uh, the lineup also going cold all at the same time, it's hard for me to sit here and say like, yeah, that's still a failure of a season. If they were to lose against this Mets. failure might be too extreme of a word, but I, I, I don't think it's, I don't it's know if it's disappointing. It's not a success. It's in my disappointing opinion. because look, you got two potential MVP caliber players. I don't care if you're playing the Mets. Man, I don't how, care if it's Scherzer and DeGrom. Like, when you've got two MVP players, how often does that happen for teams? doesn't. I mean, it hasn't happened in, what, the last 20 years? And that's the why, Giants in, like, 02 yeah. with Canton Bonds last time that happened? And that's why it's disappointing if they don't get past the DS because, like, when are you going to get that? When would you get this Goldschmidt and out of season again? You might not. The hope is next year, <laughs> but well, the reality the is father time continues to come 100%. at players. The overwhelming likelihood is this is the best year that you'll get out of those two combined. Like when you look at like the overall production offensively and what they've done for you defensively, you're right. This is likely going to be the best season that you're going to get out of those cornerstone and pieces. And it's probably, and I get it, they've tailed off, but it's probably the best season you're going to get from however many rookies you've had called up at the same time. Like when was the last time you saw, we talked about this, the Memphis mafia came up in, 2011 that's like the last time you've seen a wave of young players that have come up Yepes, donovan they'll make the postseason roster gorman probably won't but he was one of those guys there for a while that was contributing as well and that's why i throw that into there as as well not very often do teams have rookies step up and show up for a team and play out the rest of the year and end up winning jobs 
and end up going helping that team go on a run. So I, I think that adds to the equation as well, in my opinion. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. We have had a few people mention, hey, what about in 2004 when the Cardinals had the MV3? Wasn't that similar to what we're watching right now? Similar for sure. But Albert finished that year third in the MVP voting. Uh, you had Scott Rowland fourth in Jim Edmonds fifth. You did not have anybody finishing 1-2 in the MVP voting that year. That's what we're talking about is the potential of Arenado and Goldie both finishing in the top two in the National League, which it's hard to know exactly how that's going to finish. It might be Freddie Freeman that finishes second in the MVP voting in the National League this year. So maybe we don't get exactly that, but first and third is still an unbelievable finish. I, I think that we're defining it differently. I... I don't think it's a failure if you get to the DS and lose. I Defining it as a success is kind of odd because I do understand where you guys are coming from. Like you had top two MVP candidates, maybe two of the top three, whatever, however you want to define that. Edmund had an unbelievable season, but also I'm looking at the team. Like if the team had switched their August and September performances, I think I would be right in line with where you guys are at. But given what we've seen from them so far in September, it's almost like they never really got it going. I mean, we talked how long about this road trip that they were about to have, that they're finishing up right now, and how this was going to be the measuring stick for them. Well, they're two and four, and they haven't looked particularly good in the vast majority of these games. So their measuring stick moment has not gone well. And if they lose, let's say one of these next two, let's say they win tonight, lose tomorrow. Are we going to feel good about them coming off of a three and five road trip in LA and San Diego and Milwaukee? No, 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 absolutely not. Sorry, well, like, I had to do weird math in my head there. Like three and five. That's trying not to right. figure out the winning percentage. Well, no, in your head. no, I was just the three and five. That's not right. But it was an eight game. So good job by you, BK. Way to go. But uh, I, I'm not going to let just one month contail or contail. No, curtail. Cur- you want curtail. You, do you want to like yeah, pause for a second? Yeah, <laughs> can I have composure. Pull it, Alex. Yeah, regain uh, composure. I'm not going to let just the month of September curtail what my expectation was after what I saw in August. Like. At the end of August, I was like, this team is a legitimate contender, and that should be their measuring stick. And though they have struggled in the month of September, I'm not going to adjust the measuring stick for that. Don't you have to? No, I think think you need to. With new information, shouldn't there come new expectations? No, I think what happened was you set your bar so high in August that I think you still need to maintain that expectation. I I think the expectation should be they are a legitimate contender in the National League because of what we've talked about and because of what you saw in August. And that's the post-deadline team. And I get it that some things have changed here in September. Guys going cold. Sorry, it's just guys have to step up. Something meaning all of the things. All of the the guys. went from looking like a borderline Cy Young candidate to... Oh my God, is this guy even going to be in your wild card rotation? Your two guys who were playing at an all world level in Goldie and Arenado have now sunk to like below 600 in the OPS in the month of August. Yachty, by the way, who looked unplayable in August, has now become your second best producing player in the month of September. Everything has flipped on its head. I don't understand any of it. None of it makes sense to me. And that's why I I personally have changed where my expectations lie. If they were still playing at the same level that they were in August, I would totally be with you guys. Hell, I might even be saying World Series or bust because then you've got two months now of, oh, okay. since the trade deadline, they've been arguably the best team in the sport. I cannot make that argument right now. They're not as good as the Braves right now. I don't think they're as good as the Mets right now. And we just saw they're not as good as the Dodgers right now. You can make an argument on them versus the Phillies and the Padres right now. Like those are the teams that they're more in the class with over the last what? 
four weeks now? I just don't like changing the expectation because what you saw at the end of August basically said, okay, what's the ceiling look like for the team? And the ceiling was they are a team that can contend in the National League and get a shot into the World Series. And I don't like changing that expectation expectation because it's basically the same roster and it's just guys haven't been performing well. Whatever reason, they went into a lull. I still think the ceiling is at what it was in August. I don't think the ceiling has changed. I think the ceiling is still when everything is right, this team is a World Series contending team. How do they get back to that point, though? And they're running out of time to do so. But I still think that that, the expectation should not drop because of the month that they've had in September. Look, man, you live your life with excuses, and we'll live our lives with expectations. I live my life with explanations. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, NFL quick hitters. But next... Let's not give them credit for No, I'll give them that one. That was really good. Would you sign up for this kind of production from Logan Brown in 2022? I think Tanner's answer is going to be yes. I genuinely don't know what Alex's answer is going to be to this question, and I can't wait to find out. We'll do that together coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Get it into the middle, take a shot that's blocked. Who'd open the open net? He can't get back. The blue score. And Logan Brown finds the net again. From the bottom of the far circle, the rebound came right to him. He puts it in. It's one nothing Blues. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Logan Brown, once again last night, making his presence felt. You heard that right here on 101 ESPN. You'll hear tonight's game as well, beginning at 6.30, Blues versus Blackhawks. You got a good amount of your regulars in the lineup tonight. Ryan O'Reilly going, Braden Shin going. I found it interesting that Braden Shin's going to be center in this game. We can talk about that at a later time, Alex. But... I do want to talk a little bit about Logan Brown because you're very excited about him. I get it. Makes sense. He's had a very good preseason thus far. He said it wrong. Member of the Ferrario 5, Logan Brown. My apologies. Please, My apologies. Please. He's got a t-shirt. And not man. just Come any on. Ferrario 5. But one of the five best moves of Doug Armstrong's career was acquiring Logan on Brown his t-shirt with too? the Blues. It'll say it on the back. Cool. You're not alone in this. Yesterday, I was listening to the fast lane, and Jamie Rivers... The former superstar Blues defenseman himself was also excited about Logan Brown. Logan Brown was winning faceoffs at will. He was setting up faceoff plays in the defensive zone, winning the play between his legs to the defenseman who made a nice breakout pass. Like he looked like he was too good to be out there in that game, which is what you want. So you are excited about Logan Brown. Jamie Rivers is excited about Logan Brown. I've got a comparison for you. BK's not excited about Logan Brown. No, I am, but I want to be measured in my excitement about him. I'd like to be measured in my excitement. Okay, let's hear your stupid comp. I would like to take you back. The year is 2019. It's the year after the Blues went, of course, on their Stanley Cup run. And you have a gentleman by the name of Zach Sanford. Oh, my God. He's six foot four. He's 210 pounds. He was acquired for the Blues in what was, at the time, a relatively significant trade, sending Shattenkirk up to Washington, and you get Zach Sanford back here in St. Louis. Zach Sanford in his his first full season with the Blues scored eight goals, put up 20 points. That second year, played in 58 games, scored 16 goals, had 30 points, and was an average of right around 14 minutes per night. Alex, if I told you right now, and by the way, last year in 40 games, 
Uh, Logan Brown had four goals and seven assists for the Blues. So less production, actually, than what you got from Zach Sanford in 2019, that year before he broke out, quote unquote, with the Blues. If I told you right now, here's a button. If you press it, you can lock in. Logan Brown this season will have 16 goals and 30 points for the Blues. Average around 14 minutes of ice time, play roughly 60 games for them. Would you hit it, or are you pressing your luck and expecting more out of him this year? In the words of Chris Tucker from Rush Hour, oh, hell no. No. You're really not signing up. That's a that's a terrible comp, buddy. Oh. I love you, but that's a terrible it's comp. It's really not. It's actually a pretty good one. No, because Zach Sanford's not a center. I understand, but... Logan he, Brown's sole responsibility is going to be creating offense, not scoring goals. And Zach Sanford's production that you were talking about with the Blues last season, that was on the fourth line. Zach Sanford did that playing with Ryan O'Reilly. Like, I, I, I just, I don't think that's, I, I would press my luck on that because I think Logan Brown is going to be better than Zach Sanford. Do you think Logan Brown's going to be like a 20-goal, 50-point type of player? Yeah. Uh, not 20 goals, but I think we could be talking about a oh guy who God. gets to 15 goals and gets 30 or more assists. See, I think he's a guy that fits the Zach Sanford description <laughs> yeah. where it's like, oh, I expect 50 points, and then I go, man, that didn't live up to the hype at all. Like, I, is Logan Brown, could he be a fine third-line centerman for you? Sure, I, I could believe that. But if you're telling me I can hit a button and get the Zach Sanford production that BK's thrown out there, Dude, I'm you hitting know that how button. Quick I'm I would hitting that smack button? that no button so hard. No way, guys. Zach Sanford played 58 games that season. And had 30 points, and that's fine. That's fine, but like, 20 of those 30 points probably came in games where he had multiple points. Zach Sanford that, that's disappeared. That's what Logan Brown was last year. <laughs> Logan Brown did that on the I, fourth line, though. I remember, I remember Logan Brown having a, I'll call it like a spurt, because it feels like this already in the preseason, where it's like, wow, look at what Logan Brown did. And then it was like, where's Logan Brown? Like, that's what I feel like he it's going to be all year. He was on the fourth line! But he wasn't. It, it yeah, wasn't always on the fourth wasn't. line. There was times he when was. he played on the third line and for the Blues last year. When he was on year. the third line, he was productive for the Blues last year. When they pushed him to the fourth line, he disappeared. I'm telling you guys, Logan Brown, if he plays like this, and I understand it's an if, I am higher on this guy than yeah, saying clearly. he's going to be Zach Sanford. <laughs> I think you're legitimately talking about a guy who could play third line role for you and create offense. If he's going to be playing with Jake Neighbors, with Braden Shen, with Brandon Saad, with whomever they're going to put on that third line. I think we're talking about a guy who could give you 30-plus assists this season. He, he might be, but I, I, I kind of expect the overall points total to be pretty similar. Like that 30 to 40 point range, it's kind of where I expect him to be. And by the way, I don't think that's a failure. I think that would be totally fine. If he gets there and is a like net neutral for you. I didn't think Zach Sanford in 2020 was like one of the biggest issues with the blues. The next year, he, he, he absolutely was a a problem. And there (laughs) you got to the point where we can't play this guy anymore. Like he's just not the answer for us. And we've squeezed all there is out of this lemon. There ain't a lemonade to be made any longer with him. And I think there might come a point in time when that's the case with Logan Brown as well, where you look at him going into next off season and say to yourself, that's the clear spot in our top nine that we need to improve. He's just, he's the weakest link of that group. I don't know that that will be the case. Of course, I don't know how anybody could possibly know what this year is going to be for Logan Brown. But if he ends up being for this season, I'm not saying long-term, but for this year, that version of Zach Sanford, I think we should all take that and run with it. I think that would be an excellent season, honestly, for Logan Brown, because it proves to you, at a minimum, he's a starting caliber NHL player. And right now, I don't know if he is or not. And I don't know how anybody possibly could based on his, what, 70 career NHL games over the last five seasons? I mean, you you can't, but it's hard to sit here and say that he's not. 
I think what Zach Sanford did that season, that was the best you're ever going to get of Zach Sanford. I agree. And I think, I think this might an, be the best you ever see out of Logan Brown. I think that's an average season for for Logan Brown if he hits his potential. If he hits his potential, but I, I think— But I was saying the same thing at the time about Sanford, that if he hits his potential, it could be better than this. But we saw it with Sanford to the point where Sanford was playing with the O'Reillys and the Perrons and the Shens, and he could not produce other than occasionally he would produce. If Logan Brown is able to line up with better players— I think you're talking about a guy who consistently is somebody you can throw out there. It goes to the point, though, that you made earlier this week about or last week with Logan Brown. He's got to win faceoffs. He's got to be good defensively. That's the only way he's going to hit this, because if he doesn't, he's not playing. And that's where the if really comes into play here. 65780 is your comfort service text line. From the 660, I, I love preseason. I love it. It's the best. It, it reminds me so much of spring training where it's like, ha ha, all of these guys are hitting 300, baby. Oh, wow. Spring training like, actually matters. I don't like from, how you're demeaning me, sir. This, this is not about you. This is from the 660. I agree with Ferrario. I actually think Logan Brown could get to 60 points this he year. He gets 60 points. I might get a tattoo of Logan Brown. Do, do, that's, I'd be that's easy how, with your bets that you're making because you were going to be eating you know, underwear pretty soon. Do we, that one I'm comfortable in saying. Do we really think that Logan Brown's going to be better this year than Brandon Sod? No. Because that's basically what you're, what people are uh, saying. Brandon Saad doesn't other, pass the puck. That's the other thing you know for that. me is if he's on the third line, we were talking about this, what, yesterday. We said he'd be on a line probably, let's say Neighbors wins a job out of camp. It'd be Saad and Neighbors would be his line mates, right? Is that what we're kind of saying on that third line? I, I, I think, yeah, probably either Saad or Shen, one of the two. Like, I don't, I, for whatever reason, I don't like, I think we talked about this yesterday, I don't feel all that comfortable with that line. And because of that, I'm not sure Logan Brown's putting up a ton of points because of what his line mates are. That's not many, the shot against his line mates either. Do you but, know how many times Brandon Saad has had at least 60 points in a season? Uh, once. Let me guess, it was in Colorado. Brandon Saad said that, sorry, 60 points? I was reading a text. Yeah. What would you guess? 60-plus points in a regular season. How many times do you yeah. think Brandon saw it? I don't think he that? did it very much because he was always kind of like that secondary piece. I would say probably twice. Zero. He has never Damn. accomplished more than 53 points in a regular season. And, and that's... Oh, yeah. I'm, I, I don't think 60 points... I, I think 60 points is absurd if that's the case. I think... If I set the over-under at 40-and-a-half, would you take over I would take the under? over. I would take I'd, the over. I'd go under. I would take the heavy under. I just don't right. I, I don't want to get out over our skis with Logan Brown because if we if we're expecting 50 points from this guy then like the overwhelming likelihood is he's going to be disappointing. And that that's kind of unfair to him, honestly. If, if we're expecting like I would never expect Juan Yepes to be prime Albert Pujols or Dylan Carlson to be Jim Edmonds. Like I I don't want to put too lofty of expectations on these kids that are coming in and we have no idea if they can do the job or not. Like Logan Brown, it it is every bit as likely that after 20 games, he is not considered to be a top nine forward for the Blues as it is that he's a 60-point player for the Blues this season. I think those are equally likely. I don't think that either is going to happen, but on the on the outskirts of the season, I guess you could see a scenario in which either could take place. I hope he's great. I hope he proves everything that I'm saying to be completely wrong and he goes out there, scores 20 goals this year, gives you 40 assists. He's a 60-point player. And I look back and say, man, was I not just wrong, but loud wrong on Logan Brown. I, I just, I can't get there yet based on a couple of preseason performances out of him. Yeah, I, and I fully understand that. And believe me, I've said it on the post game. Like, I get it. It's two preseason games. But it's not so much what he's, it's not so much that he's scoring goals in the preseason. It's the way that he looks and sounds, at least from the broadcast, 
because he, at least from what I saw last night, he looked like a more determined player. And the highlights we saw from game one, he looked like a more determined player. And that's what I said in the offseason with Logan Brown. And again, maybe I'm very optimistic on this, but every time we've seen Craig Berube have the opportunity with players who have high potential, get a full offseason under what they want him to do, what they want them to work on, and they put that effort into the training camps and the offseason, that player has a really good season. And the perfect example for me is what Ivan Barbashev did last year. I don't think he's going to be a 26 goal scorer like Ivan Barbashev was. But I do think that Logan Brown has looked determined so far. And if that continues, I think you're talking about somebody who can lengthen the lineup when it comes to centermen on do, this team. Do you have a comparison for Logan Brown? That's the hard part. I don't because I, I've seen people and I'm not making this comp, but when he was drafted, they compared him to Joe Thornton, which I think is absurd because that's Hall of Fame yeah. potential. I've seen people say that he can play the, like the Jamie Benz. But I don't think he's got the aggressiveness. But he does have a net front presence. Uh, do you think he's going to be like a, a Patrick Berglund? Like those, those I mean, those. I, I, those, I, I think that's a good talking one. about are like. Well, no, that's what I, famers. That's like, what I said. Like, let's not be absurd. That's what people when he was originally drafted, and rightfully so, he was drafted 11th overall. Yeah, I think Patrick Berglund's a really good one. But I'm thinking more like the less goal scoring Patrick Berglund and more playmaking Patrick Berglund. And okay. I, I think that could be his. Not peak, but I think that could kind of be around the average of what he could do for this team. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're getting to get some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Katie Wu will, will join the show as she does each and every week at 12 o'clock. But coming up next, let's get into some NFL quick hitters. According to The Athletic, the Eagles are the only team in the NFL that would be favored currently in, in each of their remaining games. Is it fair to say at this point that the NFC runs through Philadelphia? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. the third week of the NFL season with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You have another two hours to get your votes in on what my punishment should be this week. You got three options. They're all listed for you on Twitter at 101 ESPN. You can also check it out on the 101 ESPN app standing on the corner of Olive for an hour in a costume with a sign that says I suck at picks. That's option number one. Option number two, push a football slide the full length of the football field while Kerry Davis yells at me or option three, I'm handcuffed while we are doing the show all week. Those are your three options. You can go ahead and get your votes in right now. 101ESPN.com, the free 101ESPN app, or on Twitter at 101ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Guys, let's start with this one. According to The Athletic, the only team in the NFL that would be projected to be favored in Vegas in each of their remaining games on their schedule is the Philadelphia Eagles. Based on where we are at today, do you believe that the Eagles are the favorite in the NFC? Did you guys see Dallas last night in Cooper Rush? I got to say, I was impressed. Their defense is legit. Their defense is really yeah, you good. You were really hating on that defense. Especially, no, they're, especially they're Lawrence. Help, they helped me beat Randy in fantasy, so yeah, they're legit. I'm a Cowboys fan. Uh, I do think the NFC runs through the Eagles. Uh, they're just the clear-cut best team in pretty much every category. They've got the weapons offensively. They've got the offensive line. They've got a very good defense, and Jalen Hurts has lived up to his potential. I, I, I don't know if they're the clear-cut favorite in the NFC, but I would give them the advantage that if I have to pick the best team that is the likely Super Bowl contender, it's the Eagles. 
Yeah, I, I agree that the NFC is going to go through the Philadelphia just because I think when you look at their schedule, yeah, they're projected to be favored in all these games. I mean, you look at their schedule, it is very easy pretty much the rest of the way. I, I think their toughest challenges left are going to be, I think they've got Green Bay at home in week 12, and then the other one is uh, this week against Jacksonville. Like, they, sure, they play Tennessee, but are we really convinced that the Tennessee Titans can beat the no, Philadelphia Eagles? No, absolutely No, not. the Colts still look like a disaster in my opinion. So, like, yeah, I think the Eagles are going to be the team that ends up winning the NFC. Like, would it shock you if they go 14-3? and three? No, I think they'll have the number one seed. I agree. I don't think they're the... I don't know if this is the right way to say it. I don't know if they're the best team in the NFC. Like, I think they will have the, the the conference go through them. I don't think they escape the NFC and get to the Super Bowl because I just don't trust Hurts enough to that. So you're point talking yet. about the bye. They get the the yeah. NFC runs through Philadelphia, even if they don't end up getting to the yes. Super Bowl. I think I agree with that assessment. I still think that the Bucks will prove to be the best team in the NFC, though. When they get their wide receivers back, last week was weird. You didn't have Mike Evans. You didn't have Chris Godwin. You don't have Julio Jones. Like all, Their entire allotment of wide receivers was basically standing on the sidelines last week. When Brady has those guys back, I'm still believing that they're going to figure it out. Their defense is incredible, man. They're, we talked about their the Cowboys defense and how great they are. They're really good. The Bucks are on a different level. This weekend, for example, if they're able to get, they got Mike Evans back. If they get one of those other guys, I think they're going to beat Kansas City this weekend. Now, it's a weird situation because of the hurricane uh, that's headed to Tampa Bay. They might have to play that game in Minnesota. That could change some things, make it a little weird, but it was supposed to be at home for them. I would have picked them against Kansas City on Sunday Night Football. I think they're the best team in the NFC. I think they will prove to be at least the best team in the NFC. I do agree with you, though, that Philadelphia is going to end up with the best record in the regular season. Next thing up, as we continue along with some NFL quick hitters after week number three, if you had to place a bet today for MVP, who would it be? Because yesterday I was listening to Ryan Clark. Speaking of the Eagles, he's got Jalen Hurts as his. Any early MVP conversations that do not include Jalen Hurts, you're actually not having the correct MVP conversation. Mm -hmm. That's real. That's how well this team is playing. That's how well this quarterback is playing. When you watch the Philadelphia Eagles play from top to bottom, they have everything they need to compete for a championship as long as this is who Jalen Hurts really is. Over on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now, the the favorite to win MVP is Josh Allen at three to one. Then Lamar Jackson at five and a half to one. The following three to finish out the top five are Lamar Jackson at five and a half to one. Jalen Hurts at six to one. Patrick Mullins at seven to one. And then you get into some more long shots. Justin Herbert at 16 to one and Tua at 17 to one. Alex, what would be your MVP bet as of today? I know there were, we're only what 18% of the way through the season, but Lamar Jackson. I, I think it has to be Lamar Jackson with what he did. Uh, he's had, what, five touchdowns last week and four touchdowns the week prior. Maybe I flipped those. I think Jalen Hurts is probably number two in this conversation above Josh Allen for how well he's performed. But I would say it's Lamar Jackson if I were to have to pick the winner right now. I agree with that. I would probably say I would put my money on Lamar Jackson right now just because I think he's been by far the best player. I mean, he's like been the Ravens offense. Like yeah. it's unbelievable. It's weird the that he's not getting more hype, and he yeah. doesn't have the weapons that Jalen Hurts I, I think has. It's just because Baltimore. I don't think they've really beaten anybody that's like 
big. Like they lost to the Jets last week. They beat, um, or was it this week? They beat the Jets. They lost to. I think you would have heard more about them Miami, if they ended up right. if they ended up winning that game against yeah. Miami. But yeah. that Miami Agreed. one, I mean, they still it was a gunshot. It was just a matter of they gave the ball back to Miami yep. with too much time on the clock. Yeah, I, but I think if they win that game, then he gets more hype because everybody else they beat just haven't really been New England and I think it's the Jets are the two teams yep. they've beat. Uh, if you want a long shot one. I think the two odds at plus 1,700 are the ones I'd put down because if they win the AFC East, it's going to be because two is not – I don't think he'd be – You guys are going to laugh at my long shot. I was gonna say, oh, boy. Don't don't say who I'm thinking. Trevor Lawrence at 38 to 1 is worth it oh, some money. God, that's not what Man, I thought. And we are but, all uh, aboard this Jacksonville listen, train. I don't think he – I do not think he's going to win it. But you're telling me that if he ended up throwing for like 4,500 yards this year, had 40 total touchdowns and led Jacksonville to a – 13 and 4 record or a 12 and 5 record, he wouldn't get some consideration. You better believe he would. Uh, the 100%. thing I really doubt in that whole statement there is the 12 and 13 wins for Jacksonville. <laughs> well, of course, you were doubting they could get to seven. I'm still doubting they get to seven. <laughs> yeah, that's 12 beers coming our way. I, I'm with you guys, though. I, I think as of today, anybody other than Lamar is just trying to get too cute. He has, I think he's accounted for like 80% of their yeah. total offense so far this season. And in his MVP year, he was at 60%. And that was good enough for him. This Sunday, he became the first player in the league's modern era to record 100 rushing yards and at least three passing touchdowns in back-to-back games. He's a unicorn. We've never seen anything like what we're watching right now with Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, I, I think for me, he would be the one that I would be placing my bet on. If I had to go long shot, it would be Trevor and if And I think in a couple of years, Hertz could probably be doing what Lamar Jackson's doing. At least in terms I mean, of throwing the football, because... I just I think he's got better weapons than Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's making something out of nothing right now. Yeah, Lamar is just so such a dynamic runner. I think they're different as runners where Jalen Hurts is more in the vein of like a Cam Newton that just a super physical player that runs more quarterback power type of stuff. Lamar is in the vein of the, the Michael Vick where it's just this is dynamic in a way that you shouldn't be able to be that good as a passer and also that dynamic as a runner. Um, So that would kind of be the way that I would delineate between the two. Do the Cowboys have a quarterback controversy, guys? Oh my gosh. I think the answer is no. Here's John Middlecoff, former NFL scout, who says the answer is apparently yes. I have no problem having Dak Prescott as my starting quarterback, but the moment they gave him $160 million, I'm like, I'm out. You're like, well, the stats and the numbers, I don't give a Here's what I know. Good teams are not afraid to play that guy. You know who they're afraid to play? Herbert, Mahomes, Allen, Lamar. I mean, all the good. Hell, even Kyler. Kyler doesn't even study. He makes you nervous. You don't sleep well at night. Why? He's way more talented than Dak Prescott. I mean, I agree with him, but I don't think Cooper Rush is the better <laughs> option over Dak Prescott. Like, look, uh, Cooper Rush, Cooper Rush was good last night, but Cooper Rush also benefited from CeeDee Lamb making an incredible catch in the end zone last night and also having a really good run game from yeah. Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. Cooper Rush is a perfectly capable backup goaltender, backup goaltender, backup Ooh. quarterback. He's going to be playing a maybe goal this year? No, Thomas Grice was great last <laughs> night. Did you see the 10 saves he made? Cooper Rush is a completely capable backup quarterback. But when Dak Prescott is healthy, there is no quarterback controversy. If you play Cooper Rush over Dak Prescott, you should lose your job immediately. I can't believe that gentleman really had the gall to say that Cooper Rush has a better opportunity with the Cowboys than Dak Prescott. It's nonsense. I don't even have to give you any numbers. Watch the games, dude. Watch the game. He disrespected Dak Prescott more than Ryan Clark disrespected uh, Drew Locke. Yeah, no oh. kidding. Why'd you do our guy like that? Middle cough? 
I, I'm with you guys. There's no way that Cooper Rush is the starting quarterback in Dallas. Now, do I agree with him in terms of do I fear Dak Prescott when it comes to a big game? To be honest with you, no, I really don't. Like, I don't think <laughs> Dak Prescott's the guy that flips a game for no. me. But he's definitely the starter in Dallas. I mean, Cooper Rush has been fine. In fact, he's exceeded expectations. He's been fine. And he's going to be a guy that next year's going to get paid to start somewhere. And that team's going to be incompetent. And they give him like a three-year contract. <laughs> T-Bone asked that. And then you're going to look back and go, why the hell did they do that? Just is like he when, a free uh, agent after this year? I think so. Just like what? who was the quarterback the Bears brought in? Who had been like a career back? Mike Glennon. Yeah, They're like, okay. oh, starting quarterback. And it was like, T-Bone texted us that last night. So out of the two quarterbacks we saw play, because Daniel Jones's rookie contract is over, Who's more likely to sign one of those two guys? Because I think the Colts are going to sign one of those two quarterbacks after this season. I think they've still got Matt Ryan after this year. You know, you know who Ryan you, might retire depending on how this season goes you know, for him. You know who spells Cooper Rush starting quarterback twenty twenty three? written all yep. over it. Houston is all Davis over it. Is good, man. Texans written all over it, man. Yeah, they'll be like, ah, could you see what Cooper Rush did, man? He's a game manager. I think manager. Give that. Daniel Lovey, Jones a ton of money because hey, he runs the football. Lovey Smith got to a Super Bowl with who was his quarterback that year? It was uh, sexy Rexy baby. Yeah, Rex, Rex Grossman. Grossman. Yeah, that spells Cooper Rush all over it, and Lovey will be all in on that. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk to Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. How much do the next two nights play into the Cardinals' decision-making process when it comes to their wild card rotation? We'll ask Katie coming up at noon, but next, questions and answers. 65780 is your cover service X line here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Katie Wu joining us coming up in a little more than five minutes. Let's get to this from the 314. Guys, I feel like the outfield offensive production has held the Cardinals back from being a World Series contender now that Bader is gone. How much longer are you guys willing to have Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill's as your everyday outfielders? Well, I mean, the, the rest of this season at a minimum, yeah. but are you willing to go into next year expecting... Carlson and O'Neill to be everyday outfielders for you. Carlson, I think, yes. I mean, you you basically committed and went all in on that pot after the trade deadline with John Mozalock's comments. So him, absolutely. Tyler O'Neill, I just don't know because I think last season was an anomaly to where he can stay healthy and be productive. I think the other three seasons or four seasons that we've seen Tyler O'Neill, it's been injuries all season long. So if there's a better option out there, I think I would probably see if I can get that so that I can be reliable on that. Dylan Carlson and Jordan Walker. I agree on the Carlson sense where, yeah, I think you come into next year and he's an everyday outfielder, probably the everyday center fielder for you. I, I just can't go there with Tyler O'Neill. It just feels like fool's gold at this point with him because you because of what Alex said. You don't know if you're going to get a full season and you've only seen him hit what you saw last, the MVP player he is once every other year he's been just too inconsistent so i think tyler o'neill you look to upgrade from in the offseason I, I truly believe that yeah i think you can only have one of them as a expecting them to be a starting outfielder every single day next year and i really don't care who it is like you want to make that tyler o'neill go ahead you want to make that dylan carlson go ahead but i think you can expect one of them uh to be an everyday outfielder i think they need 
at least two new outfielders from outside of the organization going into next year. Jordan Walker can be a guy that starts for you. I got no problem with that. But expecting him to come in and opening day be the guy feels a little lofty to me. I would rather have him be somebody that can fill in if needed later on in the season. I would like to see them add two guys from outside of the organization and remove one of those from the equation. Will they do that? Probably not. But that would be my. my Are there two guys outside of the organization? Like that you'd be willing to commit to like as full-time outfielders. Nemo's one for me. That'd be fine. Um, Like I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have an issue with them going out and getting a Jock Peterson type where he plays every day against righties. That's 70% of the time. And then you've got like a one Yepes who's in there against left-handed pitching. They, they create one spot in your lineup and then you've got Dylan Carlson, let's say, as an everyday guy. And then you bring in one other. That's maybe a Brandon Nimmo, somebody like that, who is going to be your like long-term answer in that spot. That would be the type of guy that I'm kind of looking at. I don't want to spend big money on two different guys because then I've blocked Jordan Walker at both corner infield spots and potentially both corner outfield spots. And that that's going to hold him back. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers uh, from the 636. Guys, don't you think that BK should have to take three shots with the paintball gun today since he got three answers wrong in his picks this week that is an interesting uh, questioning concept i'll I'll allow it i would allow it too i very Uh, much my my fear is is after the second shot i'm not sure he's going to be able to get to his car and may just sleep in the parking garage second shot how much is this gonna suck Oh, Have you lot. ever been hit by a paintball gun? No. Do, do I look like somebody that would be going I, paintballing all the time? I said this I said this uh, when we first found out you're getting shot with a paintball gun. If it hits you square, it is going to hurt a lot. But if it ends up if it ends up like getting absorbed somewhat by what you're wearing, you'll be fine. It also depends on where you get Cuz I I've, I've gone paintball. Hit square. Yeah, I've I've been I've gone paintballing a couple of times, and I'm not saying like every paintball that's hit me's hurt. But there are some where they hit and they just hit in that perfect spot to where it's going to leave a welt. And, you know, you might bleed a little bit. I hope I break skin. Cool. God, I hate both of you. <laughs> Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Better to Forget it. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. But next, Katie Wu joins us to tell us just how much these next two games matter, not from the divisional perspective, but for the pitching side of things. How much can Michaelis and Quintana prove that they are deserving of being in the wild card round rotation? I'll talk to Katie about that next year on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Better to Forget It. 65780 is the air comfort service text line if you want to get your scenarios in. But right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line where we are happy to be joined by Katie Wu. She is the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She's got a great piece that's up right now on the Cardinals' questions on their starting pitching side of things going into the final eight games of the season. Katie, we appreciate the time. As always, I, like you, was in Los Angeles for uh, Albert when he hit his 700th home run. Unfortunately, unlike you, I chose not to go to the game that night. How are you doing today? BK, it sounds like you might need to unpack some trauma there because that's, that's, I don't even want to make a joke about that. I just am sad. Yeah, He's got so much trauma he's got (laughs) to unpack, Katie, and talk to him tomorrow because he's going to have more. Yeah, I got to get shot by a uh, paintball gun today. Katie, have you ever been shot by a paintball gun? 
I have not, but somehow this day just keeps getting better and better. I've been on <laughs> for like 30 seconds, and I'm, I'm just so happy about it. Katie, we'll send you the video uh, a little bit later on this afternoon. I don't appreciate anything that's happening in my life Katie, over the last week Katie, or so. If you had not to a put, good week for BK. <laughs> Katie, if you had to put $10 down, do you think BK cries today? Oh, come on. Ooh, I think it depends on where he gets hit. Because it hurts, it stings. But, you know, when you get hit somewhere, sometimes it stings more than others. So I don't know if he cries, maybe he tears up. I think, it's such a, I think it's such an easy win. I'm putting $100 down. I think it's one of those <laughs> he gets in his car and he cries when everyone's gone. <laughs> I have the toughness of Yadier Molina. It's It'll be oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clip that one, you guys. That's Clip very that much one. not true. Uh, Katie, let's start with the questions about the Cardinals rotation because I never in a million years uh, thought that our question would be, hey, is Adam Wainwright going to start a wild card game for the Cardinals? But uh, Katie, is, is Adam Wainwright going to be able to start a wild card game for the Cardinals? Yeah, this is such a good question. It's so perplexing because there's so many layers. I'm sure you guys have talked about the dead arm sensation extensively. And I, I understand why fans have been so concerned over why the Cardinals haven't rested, Adam, because when you hear dead arm, you automatically associate it with fatigue. But there's different terms of dead arm. And I think because of the terminology used, it's been detrimental to what's actually going on with Adam. He's simply just lost a feel for pretty much all of his pitches it has nothing to do with fatigue or overuse. The best way in this case of dead arm for him to continue to, you know, hopefully find himself is to keep pitching. It just, of course, becomes more and more concerning because of the time of year. If this is happening in June or July, I think collectively people could say there's time for him to figure out he's Adam Wainwright. He figures it out. And that would be fair. But in September, there's not really any time for him to figure it out. He's going to make his last regular season start, not because uh, the Cardinals don't think he's fatigued or because it has nothing to do with fatigue or overuse. But he has to make that last start so the Cardinals know, okay, is there something there? Did he figure it out so that we can use him in a wild card series? Because if Adam Start, his last regular start of the season, goes the way his last five, six have went, I don't think you can make the case, as absurd as it may be, to start him in a best-of-three series. Katie, with all of these starting pitchers, where's your confidence level at in terms of them starting a wild card game? Oh, I like this question. Um, right now, based off of performances alone, I think recent performances, I think I would go Miles Michaelis, Jose Quintana, and then it would depend on the opponent if Jordan Montgomery or Jack Flaherty gets game three. So, and I think that's the way that Ollie Marmol is looking at it. When I last talked to Ollie, he was like, you know, I really don't have any true guidelines or blueprints on how this playoff potential playoff rotation is going to go because they don't know who they're playing yet. And different teams prototype against different pitchers, obviously. But if you're playing a team like the Padres that have a little bit more swing and miss, I think you go for Jack because he has more swing and miss than the rest of the rotation. If you are playing a team that generates a lot of weak ground ball contact, you go for the sinker ball or the ground ball guy. That's Jordan Montgomery. I think it really just depends on the opponent. Katie Wu is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Katie, what do the next two days mean for Michaelis and Quintana as it pertains to the potential playoff rotation, specifically the wild card round? I think it's just a chance for them to wrap it up. I, I, I obviously, I think the Cardinals would like to just win the division today, but I think Miles and, and Quintana are both pitching to solidify their roles. Miles has been dominant all year long. He's been great. I know his second half, not as great as his first half, but I thought he pitched really well in San Diego. Hard luck loss, didn't allow an earned run, still took it. For me, to see the shape of Miles' curveball and how he's able to command it and place it, he can pitch it for a strike, he can pitch it for a ball, he can pitch it so it sets up the rest of the, his arsenal. 
that is his bread and butter to me. So today, obviously, you're looking for Miles to win the game and clinch the division, but you're also looking to see the command of his curveball because that's really what makes him dominant. If the clinching game gets to Quintana, I think you're just looking for more of the same. Quintana has been that slow, steady, possibly under the radar all second half in terms of what he's been able to accomplish. He keeps guys off the board. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. They hardly score off him. I know he's had a couple of shorter starts, but his overall bulk of work of not allowing more than two earned runs in each of his starts since being traded, I think is absurdly good. So I think for those two, you're looking to make sure everything looks right so that you feel comfortable penciling them in in a best of three series. Katie, if you if I think we talked about this probably about a month ago, the strength of the team, it seemed going into the playoffs was the offense and then it was the starting pitching staff. Is the strength of this team at this point going into the final week of the season and then, of course, into postseason play the bullpen? Oh, I didn't think about it this way. Um, yes, I think so. I think it's definitely a strength because they have so many different weapons and because, for the most part, the starting rotation has been able to notch at least a quality starter close to one each time. The guys are well-rested. I mean, it's been a minute since we've seen Ryan Helsley. It's been a minute since we've seen Giovanni Gallegos, who's quietly having a really impressive second half. He's turned it around against left-handers. The slider looks nasty. Those two in the back end of the bullpen are enough. And then you see potentially Dakota Hudson and Steven Matz and what they can do in relief. You have Andre Pallante, who's been dominant. And, of course, an assortment of guys you can throw in at any time. I do like the bullpen. I think that's going to become even more important, maybe not in a best-of-three series, uh, mainly because, you know, the game's, if you have, ideally, in their blueprint, you have Miles and Quintana going at least six innings. But when you're looking at the back end of the Cardinals bullpen, I do think that it is maybe undervalued just because we haven't seen them as much lately. Katie, one of the big questions that I've got about this team, and I, again, this is another one that I'm, I'm really shocked that I'm asking it given where we are in the season, but I think it's relevant for the playoffs. What's the level of concern with Paul Goldschmidt right now? Yeah, that's valid. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I feel like the baseball universe was collectively declaring him the National League MVP. The thing about Paul is he is so even keeled, whether he's riding really high or riding relatively low. And that's a benefit. We were talking to him on Sunday after the game, and he's like, yeah, I haven't been performing. I haven't been doing my job, but um, I feel good. I feel close. Yes, Paul Goldschmidt, JDMJ, just doing his job. <laughs> uh, that's, that's my new thing, by the way. When he homers, that's going to be my tweet. Just a little uh, <laughs> just a little <laughs> foreshadowing of how my, my mind works for games. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of concern just because he is so critical to that lineup. Nolan's been getting better. He kind of looks like he's busting out of that slump. But when you have Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato not clicking at the same time, it obviously really weakens your lineup. So concern, yes, for Goldschmidt. But because he's such a prolific hitter, because he's so consistent, and because he genuinely – genuinely feels like he is close to getting out of it. I wouldn't concern, be too concerned just yet. Give him two days to, in a pivotal series to maybe bust out of it and see what he can do at home heading into the potential wild card series. Final question that I've got for you. We'll get you out of here on this one. Katie, which rookie do you think is going to play the biggest role for the Cardinals in the playoffs if they're going to go on a run? Who is the most important rookie for the Cardinals in the playoffs? I'm thinking, and I think I'm going to go with Brendan Donovan because he can play anywhere. He gets on base well. He hits from the left side. He's fast. He has, he's just been doing Brennan. If you just look at what Brennan Don has done all season, you'll see why he's so important to the Cardinals in the playoffs. I think his, his contributions to the team, I don't think they're close to where they are now without him. Um, and I know that it's maybe a lot to ask for a young rookie to perform in such a big series so early in his career, but that's what Donovan has been doing all season long. So I think he's more than capable of rising to the occasion. 
by wins above replacement fourth on the team in terms of the position players so far this year more than both if you put them together Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson combined that's what we've seen so far Jeez. from Brendan Donovan so it's a good pick Katie we appreciate the time as always we'll talk with you again next week as we get closer and closer to the start of the major league baseball playoffs BK uh please send me that video and if you cry it's okay thank you I appreciate the moral support Thanks, guys. She's Katie Wu joining us, as always, here on 101 ESPN. Again, find her work over at The Athletic. It is well worth the price of admission. Also, follow her on Twitter, at Katie J. Wu. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to continue talking about what she just referenced there with the Cardinals' playoff rotation decisions. And we will get into the question that I just asked on the Cardinals' rookies. Which one of them will make the biggest impact in the playoffs? That's coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. But next, better to forget it, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. If you've got any scenarios, we will tell you if we're betting it or forgetting it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line. Let's start with this one from the three one four. Hey guys, better to forget it. BK will cry today as he gets shot with the bad paintball. It, bad it. I've been doing some googling. Bad it. What you Google? How bad does a paintball hurt? Yes, <laughs> yes I did. And then I googled how far should you stand away from a person when What's shooting a paintball gun. Uh, definitely don't do it from three meters or less. Wouldn't recommend that. All right, you're going to have to do the uh, metric system for me. What's three meters? About 10 feet, a little less than 10 feet. Oh, I promise you I'm standing closer than that. I won't be able to hit you any further than that. What? Come Are on. you serious? Yeah. Oh, I did buy 500 paintballs today, so got plenty yeah, of shots. You're not standing within 10 feet of me. Yeah, no, I can I think, tell you that I for think sure. I like 20 feet probably the distance. Oh, no. I was thinking six feet or less. Okay. No, well, well, you're not even allowed to do that at a paintball facility. I'm going to go ahead and let Tanner take both shots. I'm sorry. Is this <laughs> a paintball facility? Oh, no. It's my, it's my paintball gun. I'm starting this one. It is actually not your paintball gun. 65780 is the, the air family. comfort service. Text line from the 636. Better to forget it. BK gets six, or excuse me, five straight losses in the Pick'em Challenge. I, I'm i of the belief that I'm going to get 16 straight losses. Like Tanner lost week one. I think I'm going to sweep the rest of the season. I think I'd bet that one. But no, I'm going to forget it because I think I'll, I'll get one in there somewhere. Nah, he's he's terrible. No, no because I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm confident that all of them are going to go his way. I'm going to bet this. I'm going to forget this. I think I'll get one and then the rest will look, be I'll be confident enough because I've been two and one through the first three weeks. So yeah, the key is to just go two and one. Yeah, the goal, if you can get to two wins, you're probably pretty good. Like the fact that I lost and you two went three no's just mind-boggling to me in that first week so i'm gonna bet this yeah bk was just gonna do them all i'm gonna be the what was it the 2008 lions that went 0 16 it's gonna be me if you have some competitive games in there though it's not as bad as it seems it's me and dan orlovsky just standing over here together running out of the back of the end zone <laughs> just don't Rough. butt fumble like mark sanchez six five seven eight oh is the error comfort service x line for bet it or forget it guys bet it or forget it paul goldschmidt still wins national league mvp Bet it. You said he, yesterday he still leads in OPS and OPS plus and slug. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'll bet it. And I think he at least heads in the right direction these last three series. So I'll bet this one. I think by the end of the season, he's still the clear cut 
MVP. That's where I am, too. I, I think he still wins the MVP, so I'm going to bet this. I mean, when you lead the National League in slugging OPS, OPS plus, and total bases, and you're right there and on base still, and I get it, he's going through a struggle. I, I just can't see how they amend this after he had, like, arguably five unbelievable months that we hadn't seen in Cardinals baseball since Albert was here. So I'm going to bet this. I, I think it'll end up being closer than what it once was, but I still think he wins it. Totally with you guys. I still am of the opinion. Like every time he comes up to the plate, I assume he's going to get right. I, I'm going to continue being that way until we finish this regular season. And then I'm just proven wrong. I like this one a lot. Better to forget it. Logan Brown finishes the year with more goals than Robert Thomas. Oh. I'll forget that one. I think Robert Thomas is going to shoot the puck. I'm surprised he hasn't played a preseason game yet, and he's not tonight. I guess they're saving him for the first home game Thursday. And, like, why? I guess. What you, I, I'm what surprised. Do you, what do you need Robert Thomas to prove to Honestly, you? I'm surprised they're sending as many veterans as they are on I a road too. trip because usually they just keep those for the home game, but I would imagine some of those guys want to get in. I'm going to forget this one, though. I think Thomas shoots the puck more, especially after scoring 20 last season. Uh, I think he'll have more goals. Oh, man. I think I'm going to bet this one, too. I think Thomas will finish with more goals. I think he'll be around the 20-goal mark again, and I'm not, not sure Brown will get there. I think Brown best is like 10 to 15. Yeah. So I'm going to bet this. I'm, I hope Thomas has more goals. You, you know where I stand on this. I just think, I mean, part of it is I expected expanded role from Robert, Robert Thomas this year on the power play, so that'll be part of this. The other thing is he's just going to have so much more ice time. The opportunities are going to be there for him in a way that it's not for Logan Brown. So speaking of, did you see their power play units at practice today? I did. Now, no Thomas, obviously, because he's not with that group. I would imagine Sod's the one that's coming out of that power play group. And obviously you're putting Krug and Perunovic's spot. But so for those that did not see it today, it's Sod, Kairu, O'Reilly and Shin with uh, Perunovic as the point man on that group. So, yeah, I would imagine Krug would be the point man. Shen probably shifts to Sod's spot and then Thomas O'Reilly, Kairu, which make. Um, I didn't even think of freaking Vladdy. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how they're going to set these power play units up because you're talking Tarasenko, Thomas, Buchnevich, um, Barbashev, maybe, Saad. So you're going to have a lot of power play weapons. Hopefully the power play can be just as good as it was last season. I would think O'Reilly, Shin, and Tarasenko. That's what they usually go with. And then Thomas will probably be on that one. And Kairu might be on the second power play unit. Yeah, put Kairu. Although what you might do since O'Reilly and Kairu are the pairing this year and Thomas and Tarasenko are the pairing. Yeah. Maybe you would go with O'Reilly, Kairu, Shin, and like Saad on that first unit. And then Buchnevich, Tarasenko, Thomas, and who are we miss? Oh, Barbashev. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that would be the way that you go about it. Maybe Logan Brown. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. By the end of the season, the Carolina Panthers will be a legitimate playoff team. Although I do like LaVisca Chenault. We've all been watching Carolina Panthers, right? Like, hey, Baker, I mean, Baker looks the good. The thing is, like, somebody's got to make it out of the NFC. It ain't them. I'd be more willing to say the Giants make it out of the NFC than the Panthers, and they're in different divisions. I'm forgetting that. I mean, that I, game I'm was basically a draw. I, I've watched Baker Mayfield. He has the worst QBR in the NFL through the first three weeks. Like, really? Yeah, yeah he's James. been, I think that's right, if I remember correctly. He's been bad. Like, he does not look like Baker from when he was right with Cleveland, which that's I thought he might true. bounce back. 
I still think the shoulder just isn't completely right, so I'm forgetting this. I even I, think the Saints are better than the Panthers. I'm not sold on them either. For Me whoever, neither, but... I mean, the, the Panthers just beat them straight up, though. Yeah, but didn't they have, like, three guys that got injured midway through? Wasn't Winston out, Kamara out, and Thomas out? No. I, I mean, Winston was, was playing. Um, Thomas always gets hurt, so <laughs> Kamara was out, but I... I mean, those are three pretty impactful players compared to where the Panthers are at. Yeah, but Winston was playing. I I think the answer to this is no. I'm forgetting it. But I I think there's going to be somebody that's weird that gets into the playoffs from the NFC. Like, maybe it's the Giants. Probably Detroit. Somebody like that. I, I don't know who it's going to be, but somebody that we're not anticipating right now that's in that one and two, two and one range, and we just kind of assume is going to fall off. Like the Chicago Bears, for example. Do you guys know the Chicago Bears are two and one? They've completed like 25 passes so far this season in three Impressive. games and they're two and one on the season. Now their wins came against a crappy San Francisco team and terrible weather. And then this week against Houston. So they might as well be fake wins, but they count nonetheless in the standings. Somebody like that is going to end up making the playoffs this year. And it's going to surprise all of us. Uh, six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it guys bet it or forget it. One of Jalen Waddle or Tyreek Hill leads the NFL in receiving yards this year. They're currently 2-3 in receiving yards on the season. Leads in the NFL? Mm-hmm. Leads who's, the league in receiving this year. First? Number one right now is Stephon Diggs. He's got 344. Yeah, Number two is Jalen Waddle at 342. So he's only two yards behind him. And then Tyreek is three at 320. I think I would forget this. I think either Diggs or Jefferson... Jefferson's had a rough go of it the last couple of weeks. He had a bad game last week. Kirk Cousins has been awful, too, these last couple of weeks. Who could have seen that coming? Not us at all. Uh, I'm going to forget this one. I I think probably Diggs is going to lead in that category Uh, just because, I mean, he and Josh Allen have a chemistry that I'm not sure anybody else has. It's what Mahomes and Hill used to have, so I'm going to forget it. I'm going to forget it, too. I I think those two ultimately end up pulling away a little bit from each other, which I think is what will hold them back a little bit. I don't expect them both to finish top five and receiving yards i i'm kind of with alex i think Diggs will be up there i i think the other guy that we haven't even mentioned and he's gotten off to a bit of a slow start since uh week one is cooper cup matthew stafford like they are force feeding him the ball like it's unbelievable they th- he's like the only guy they trust on the offense so yeah. he'll be up there as well i just i just can't see those two being with that both are on the same team getting the lead and receptions through the season yeah i would be pretty surprised by this as well just because I think so much of it was that crazy comeback against the Ravens. That's playing such a big factor and them being up that high. I do think Jalen Waddle is like a superstar, man. That guy is unbelievably talented. And I know Tyreek Hill gets all the headlines, but Jalen Waddle's the one that if I'm going up against them, that guy terrifies me right now uh, as a number two weapon. My God, good luck with that. So I do not think that he ends up getting uh, either one of them. I don't think either get the lead in receiving yards on the season, but I think they end up having damn good seasons coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We will dive into the junk drawer, but next, how much will the opponent dictate the decision of who ends up in the Cardinals wild card round rotation? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. playoff rotation here in just a minute but Craig Berube talking with the media right now Alex I want to get your thoughts on this quote this is from Luke Korak 
Craig Berube was asked on who will end up playing with uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo. He said, quote, I think that whether it's Saad or Shin up there on the left wing, they've all played together. I've just got to see how that third line, other lines are shaping up. As of right now, that's kind of where we're at. I think Logan Brown and Jake Neighbors are determining whether or not Shin is going to be on the left wing or at center. Do you think that is a fair read on that quote? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's a matter of chemistry with Logan Brown. Jake Neighbors is one of those guys. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Brandon Saad plays Thursday with Logan Brown to see how he plays with him. Uh, and then the other player that you might need to pay an eye, pay attention to is Josh Levo, who had some success with uh, Logan Brown last night. I, I think the way I read that statement from Craig Berube is he's looking for chemistry. And if Logan Brown can create good chemistry with wingers, then Braden Shen's going to get that opportunity up on top with Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo. That's interesting. I, I read it as if Logan Brown can be the center, then Shin will be on the wing. If Logan Brown is not ready to be that centerman on that third line, then we'll have um, Shin there and then we'll move Brown over to the wing side of things. But that's to see that that is kind of the way that things are trending right now is they're trying to figure out what to do with that third line. All right, we'll get more into that coming up in the one o'clock hour. The junk drawer is coming up at 1245. But I was listening to the fast lane yesterday and BT was asked about what his current wild card rotation would be. Who would be the three guys that as of today, just based on performance, would get those starts for him? Here's what he had to say. I got three games, and this is right now, just had to make a decision right here on the spot without seeing Sunday, without bringing in track records. My three are Michaelis, Quintana, and Flaherty. What do you make of that, Alex? I would agree with two of the three. I don't think I've seen enough from Flaherty to where I feel comfortable that he's in my wildcard rotation. I think right now, and I understand that this player has struggled also, but mine would be Michaelis, Quintana, and Montgomery. And some of that, I guess, does play into who the opponent is that the Cardinals would be taking on. But those are the three that I feel most confident in right now going into the wild card round. Michaelis game one, uh, Quintana game two, and Montgomery game three. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think the third spot is between Flaherty and Montgomery right now, and I think that comes down to who you're playing. If a team just hits left-handers well, I think you then turn to Jack Flaherty in that spot, and if they end up hitting righties well, I think it's Jordan Montgomery. And I, I agree with Michaelis and Quintana. I'm not going to worry about what the splits are for the opponent between righty and lefty. I think oh, those really? two have locked it up. I, I think those two have been so good that I'm going to trust my gut and kind of ignore the numbers and say these are my two best guys right now, and I'm going to rely on them. Like Miles Michaelis has been awesome in the month of September in his four starts, has a 2.52 ERA, I believe is what it is, and his batting average against is 205. So I, I look at that and I say, okay, well, he's definitely locked in. And Quintana, I know he was brought in to be kind of that fifth starter for the Cardinals, and he's sure he doesn't give you a lot of length, but that's where it came down to what we were talking about with Katie earlier. Has the bullpen become the strength of this team? And I think the bullpen is really starting to settle its pieces in together finally. I think Thompson's been great. JoJo's been great. Uh, Hudson's looked good in his one outing out of the bullpen. So, And you already know what you have in your eighth and ninth inning, guys. So if he can give me five innings and Quintana hasn't given up two earned runs or more in any of his first ten starts, I think he's locked in. And then I'll play the splits with the other guys that I just have question marks about, about Jordan Montgomery. Have the last three starts been more of what he truly is? Or am I going to see what I got immediately after I acquired Jordan Montgomery? And then Jack Flaherty, if he looks like the guy that pitched innings four through six against San Diego, to me, he's got the best stuff on the staff still. So then he would be the guy that would end up making that start. Yeah, it, it's so funny because I I really think that, like, if, if I'm doing what we just heard there from BT, where forget what's happening in the future, just based on today, if the playoffs started tonight, if instead of playing against Milwaukee in a 
um, best of two series up in Milwaukee just to finish off this division. This was the start of the wild card round. I do think that what I would probably start with is I think I would go Michaelis in game one against Milwaukee specifically. I'm probably going with Quintana and Montgomery because I am playing more into the matchups and Milwaukee is one of those teams that has significant splits against right-handed pitchers. They're pretty darn good. They've got a 750 OPS as a team on the season against lefties though. It's about a hundred points lower. So I'm going with my two guys that I think give me the best chance to win against this specific lineup. I'm getting my left-handed pitchers out there against them against Philly. For example, if they ended up being that team that you're playing though, They've been crushing left-handed pitching all season. They have an OPS that's 100 points higher against lefties than Milwaukee does. So against that, I would probably go with Michaelis and Flaherty. And man, if Wayno ended up looking good in his next start this weekend, I would probably go with Wayno as my third starter. But it's all completely reliant upon what we see out of Wayno going into this weekend. Yeah, I think Wayno's my last option right now. I think I would go Flaherty above Wayno just from what we've heard from him and what we've seen. How much does it change, though, if Wayno looks good again? I, I know it's Pittsburgh, so that has to be relied upon in all of this. you got to think about that. But how much does it change if Wayno gives you, like, six innings, one earned run, six hits against? And it, and it, overall, his stuff looks pretty I'm good, saying, but I'm, not not the best version of it. I don't know about you, but I'm not looking at the box score numbers. I'm yeah, looking at ju- I'm just using says. the eye test and what the mm-hmm. stuff looks like for Wayno. Well, and also, what did Jack Flaherty do? Did Jack Flaherty have a innings four through six in his last start, or did he have an innings one through three? Because then I might just go with the fact of Flaherty's got better stuff, and I just hope that things go. But if Wayno says it feels better and the eye test covers, then yeah, I'd probably go Wayno over Flaherty there. I think if Wayno looks like himself, then then if his stuff looks right, and again, I don't care what the box score says, he can give up 10 hits, but if his stuff looks really good, it's just a bunch of bleeders that are killing him, then I think he's the guy that takes that spot that I've talked about where I would just look at the splits, that number three spot, where I'd say splits don't matter, Adam Wainwright gets the start. I, I truly believe Michaelis and Quintana are locked right now. I was now. about to go through that. So you, I, I agree on Michaelis. Alex, do you agree on Quintana as a yeah, lock? Absolutely. No matter who you play, even against the teams that have better splits against lefties, like if you go against Philly, who's better against lefties than they are against righties, you're still throwing Quintana out there. Yeah, just because, I mean, what we've seen is better than the other two righties that I have the options with. So, yeah, I think he's a lock for me. I'm going to go down with the dudes that have shown the best stuff lately. I I hear you. If I'm going against San Diego or Milwaukee, he's a lock for me. If I go against Philadelphia, I think it's a serious question for me as to whether or not I'm starting Quintana. And it's not about him, and it's everything about the opponent. And maybe that's me overthinking things. That is totally fair. It's not like they're terrible against righties. They've just got a really good lineup, and so they hit everything pretty well, but they destroy lefties. It's not to the same degree as the Cardinals, but it's kind of in that similar vein. So uh, against the Phillies, I think it would make it hard, but against the other two teams, I'm with you guys. Who's your third one right now? That you would say, like, what's what's your battle looking like? What who? Let me ask it this way: Who gets the benefit of the doubt for you? All <laughs> things else being equal, who has earned the benefit of the doubt as that third starter for you right I, now? I'd say Wayno, but the way he's talking, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt anymore. Just the way that he is talking tells me that I don't know if he trusts his stuff right now. I think it between Montgomery and Flaherty. I think I would lean towards Jack Flaherty because of the stuff and because of the attitude that we saw in that game against San Diego. And I know that's not much, but maybe if he's got a, a blank you mentality in the in a wild card round, you might get the best out of him for a few innings and then you can go to the bullpen. 
I just, I don't know if I have confidence in any of them right now, but I think out of those three, it would probably lean more towards Jack Flaherty. Oh, man. I This is where it gets really hard. I, at least with Michaelis and Quintana, there's production you can play, you mm-hmm. can look at. And you can say, okay, look at the back of the baseball card. The month of September, they've both been very good for you. With Flaherty, with Wayno, with Montgomery, it's the opposite. It's all about projecting what it could look like once they get into when the brights are the lightest. And for those three guys, who do you think is going to step up in that moment? Who is going to have their best stuff when it matters the most? If that, if I'm going based on that, then I think it's got to be Adam Wainwright. Like I think he's a guy that's proven it time in, time out. Now, if his stuff still doesn't look good in this next start against Pittsburgh, then yes, I, I think it is a different conversation. But if he has like any sign of it looking back to what you expect from Adam Wainwright, I think he's the guy. I think he's the guy that gets the biggest like tiebreaker advantage is Adam Wainwright because of his long, lengthy career. And I think. I, I truly believe the Cardinals would lean towards that. I get it. Jack's a guy that, like, I truly believe if, if he's right, his stuff is the best on the team. But you just haven't seen it yet this year, and it's an injury-plagued year. And then I just think Montgomery right now, as much as I think he would have kind of that bulldog mentality when you get to the playoffs because the Yankees basically said, yeah, you're not good enough for us in New York. We're going to send you to St. Louis. I think he'll carry that on a bit of a weight of his shoulders. But the fact that he's been hit around the last couple starts makes me kind of hold back on that consideration for it. So right now, those to me, those are the three that are battling. I think Wainwright can solidify no matter what, no matter what the splits are, I'm gonna he could start game three. But if he struggles, then it comes down to the splits for me between Montgomery and I Flaherty. Think, I think game three, to me, is I'm gonna be using my bullpen in that game. I was about to ask that. So somebody on the text line mentioned this. Six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line from the six three six. By the way, somebody said did BK did BK just say when the brights are the lightest? Yes, that's it's my thing now. I, I'm said that wrong once and now that's gonna be our new yeah, our new tag t-shirts, line. man. <laughs> um Somebody said, do you make the third game in the wild card a potential bullpen game? Would you guys consider doing that? Like, just as an example, Kyle Schwarber leads off more often than not against righties for the Phillies. Would would you consider going with like, hey, we're going to throw a lefty. Thompson. As our starter in this game, quote unquote. Maybe even Montgomery. Whoever you want it to be. I would start with one of my three guys, but I would have my bullpen on red alert as soon as... As soon as back-to-back hits are given up or a walk comes in, I'm getting them out of there. Because their top three guys in their order are Schwarber, Hoskins, and Harper. Do you consider saying, you know what, we're going to go three batters with our starter that is a lefty. Maybe it is Zach Thompson. Maybe you say just because we want to get these three dudes out. We're going to start with Zach Thompson, and then we get our quote-unquote starter into the game after that. And we're just going to piece this thing together. If Wayno doesn't perform well in this next start and Jack doesn't do it, do enough to be like, Jack is back, baby. Do you consider going bullpen game in game three? Would you at least think about it? I don't think I would go bullpen game. I think I would still have one of my three starters. Like I would probably lean towards Jack Flaherty. And if it doesn't look good, that's when I'm going to my bullpen immediately. Like I'm going to my bullpen as soon as damage hits early so on i mean that's the case for any of these guys though so you just treat it like another game yeah i i typically would say yeah go keep with a starter but i i think the way that you're ha- the way we're having this conversation and we're only eight games away from the playoffs i think it's certainly something that ollie would consider i i think they would consider a bullpen game open up with thompson if you like what you've seen from hudson maybe try and get hudson to go two innings maybe you end up having jack come out of the bullpen and he faces like four through nine or something like that, and then you turn it away. So would I rule it out? No. And in fact, honestly, I might kind of lean towards that as we speak right now, just because I don't know what I expect 
from those other three guys currently in, in this rotation. Coming up in 15 minutes, are the Blues going to miss David Perron more on power play or at five on five? We'll talk about that coming up at one o'clock. But next, the, the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack going to join the show coming up at 1.30 next. Are the Blues going to miss David Perron more on the power play or at five on five? But let's dive into the junk drawer right now. If you were going to rob somewhere, Alex, what would you wear? I'm sure you haven't thought about this at all, but I, I, I have totally never planned out a bank robbery in my mind ever. What would you wear? What would be your go to? I think it would be the the traditional all black with a ski mask. Yeah, you, you'd make sure it's like nondescript, right? Yeah. Nothing yeah. that people would remember. And You're going sure to your try to make yourself covered. as indistinguishable as possible. Well, or you go the other way and you make yourself like obnoxiously distinguishable, but then change your appearance. That might be the way to do it, too. Police in Tulsa say that a pair of SpongeBob themed shorts and socks helped them catch a serial burglar. The Tulsa Police Department says that a gentleman that goes by the name Smackman uh, has been arrested. Big, big fan of Pac-Man, I would imagine. They received reports of five different burglaries in the apartment complex between July and earlier this month in the month of September. They were all similar, and all of them included this suspect that was seen wearing SpongeBob-themed shorts and socks. Alex... This gentleman could have gotten away with it. Yep. But look at what he was wearing. Those are bright blue shorts with well, got Reptar on it too. Them. The and then rags? they've got yeah, it's got all the Nickelodeon different stuff on here. And then he's got socks that are blue and yellow and have SpongeBob on the side. Was that like his only clothing apparel? Is that like all he wore? What are we because doing like, here? Dis- discard that. Like throw it in the trash as soon as you make the robbery. I'm not asking you to be a road scholar if you're trying to get away with some kind of a burglary. You know, but maybe we should give a little sense. more thought to what we're wearing. You know what he probably did? He probably did like in Home Alone, the Wet Bandits, what Marv <laughs> did, where he was just an idiot. And he was like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, we're the Wet Bandits. So I stuffed the sink and I turned the sink. This guy probably was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the guy that robs stores with Nickelodeon shorts and SpongeBob socks. And then realize Smack that, man. oh, yeah, uh, the cops will look for that sooner or later. And they'll see some random dude carrying a bunch of stuff stolen that is wearing Spongebob socks. I just can't even imagine the thought process. All right, I'm going to rob dumb. a bank today. What will I wear? You can't be that dumb. Oh, apparently you can. Tanner, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer, man? It's nothing with robbing banks, <laughs> that's for sure. But maybe he was listening to some of this music. You said this was in Oklahoma, right? So he was probably Tulsa. listening to Billie Eilish. Because apparently, do you know I who found Billie a Eilish list. Is? I do know who that is. I found a list My that was released. obsessed with Billie Eilish. Really? Is your wife into Billie no. Eilish? She's, the, she's the, 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 uh, the girl that like just talks, mumbles. Is that who I'm thinking of? Or is that somebody else? I, I don't mean, know who you're talking about. I guess, about. but she's got like a bunch of popular songs. 
but what my list is here. Alex Astin, or if he knows who Billie Eilish is, and Alex didn't know Billie yeah. Eilish. Oh, I know who she is. I just terrible. <laughs> okay. But so I found a list that was released by SiriusXM, the most listened to artists slash bands in each state. Who do you think it is for Missouri? Oh, good question. Most li- it's got to be some kind of country, I would imagine. Am I on the right path there? No. Really? And you're wrong with Nelly, too. That's surprising. What do we got? It is Cardi B. Okay. Listen to a lot of WAP here in Missouri. I would have thought, like, maybe Taylor Swift would have been up there on that list. I would have thought that, too. I, I would have thought Nelly would have been up on the list for sure. In 2022, though? Man, I thought, sure. like, 2005, maybe. You know but who it's been it is? I don't even know who this is for the state of Illinois. Jason Moratz? Moraz? Moraz. <laughs> oh, I love Jason Moraz. That also seems pretty random. He does a ton of concerts in Illinois, so... Justin I, Bieber's big in... What's the state right below Missouri? There's a lot of them. Buddy. Arkansas? Yeah. Justin Bieber's big in Arkansas. Is Jason Moraz from Illinois? Uh, from Virginia. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I, my wife and I saw him twice, and I think he did both concerts in Illinois. Interesting. The whole reason I think Cardi B's up there, and it's probably, I'll give because credit to the fast lane. because yeah, of Yachty. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah, that's why Cardi B's up here. Otherwise, it wouldn't be, of course. I didn't even know that was Cardi B. <laughs> I didn't either. Thankfully, it's labeled. No, I know, oh, though. wait. No, it's not. It's Megan Thee Stallion, so I what was wrong. Say? Where's this list from? Sirius XM. Huh. So, wait, we just played the Yachty song yeah, for no reason. That's not, that's that's not Cardi B. Someone said, when's the last time Nelly made a song? Didn't Nelly just make like an entire country album? I have no idea. I think he made like an listen. entire country music ne- uh, album. Don't, don't tell the people this, but I don't listen to a lot of Nelly. I, I mean, I listened to a lot of Nelly, but it was all from like 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. I still, I, I still listen to Nelly. I am shocked. Like country grammar, shake your tail feather, like that era Nelly. Sure, I could listen to any of that, but I You know who I pops up a lot, a lot on this that he's list done in the last that decade or so? kind of surprises me is Ed Sheeran. He's like the most listened to artist in about four or five states. Is Eminem yeah. the listened to artist somewhere like Detroit? In Michigan? Uh, Michigan? Michigan is Kodak Black. Okay. Just thought that would have been Florida. Eminem is most say, listened to very in... Very famous in the Miami area. <laughs> I think this is Vermont. It's one of those smaller states. Eminem Vermont? Is, is number one. Okay. Yeah. That's a new one. Coming up next, where are the Blues going to miss David Perron more? Power play or at five on five? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah, I think Jordan Cairo uh, is the guy that's for me right now, it will step in that role. And, you know, I got him and our ride together uh, out there. So, you know, I'd like to see them see what they're, if they form some chemistry together and where they're at here. It'll take a little bit of time to see. But, you know, I think we've got to, you know, mix and match some players here and there and see what we got. But uh, he's definitely the guy for me right now that uh, is going to get a look at that spot. 
and probably on the power play too. That was Craig Berube on with the fast lane yesterday talking about who's going to fill in for David Perron and the lack of production that they have from that spot this year with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. David Perron had a great season last year, finished the year with 27 goals, 57 points on the year. And it was interesting to see the way that he actually came up with those goals. 11 of them came on, uh, excuse me, 16 of them came on five on five, 11 of them were on the power play last season. So Alex, when I asked the simple question and he mentioned there who was going to fill in for him, both on the power play unit and also at five on five, what do you think the blues are going to miss more David Perron at five on five or David Perron on the power play? I think it's the power play. And I would say a hundred percent on the power play. And I understand the five on five because he was a very effective player but I don't know if you have somebody who can one-time the puck like David Perron can on the power play on that far wall. And I think that is, I think that's impactful for teams that are successful on the power plays to have that one-time threat. And maybe Cairo can step into that. I just haven't seen him do a whole lot of one-timers. I know Vladdy's not the greatest at that. Maybe Thomas can be, but David Perron was that guy that goaltenders always had to focus on on that side, because, you know, you'd be trying to get those cross size passes. The goaltender would expect Perron to be shooting it when the puck came to him. Defensemen would kind of cheat that way, which gave you opportunities on the other side to maybe get one timers or maybe just put the puck in front of the net. I think you're going to miss him on the power play until st- somebody steps up to be a, a reliable one timer uh, on that far side. I, I'm with Alex on this one. I think it's more on the power play that they're going to miss him because of what you're saying in that that one timer that you had on him on that left side there on the ice because I'm with you. I don't think Kyra really has that shot in him. I don't think Thomas has that shot in him. And Vladdy, as much as he's got a great shot, it's more of a uh, like a wrister that's a great sniper. It's not really a big slap shot that can come in. It doesn't necessarily have to be a good slap shot. It just has to be a great one timer that Pron had. So I think it's more likely that they're going to miss him because of his power play production. I think five on five, you can get a handful of guys that can either step up their production or neighbors comes in and you can kind of fill that void. I don't think they truly have a guy that fills that slot that Perron was in on the power play that, this year. I also think their power play is just one man short right now, or at least it feels that Agreed. way to me. Like y- you look at it in Shin, O'Reilly, Tarasenko, I, I guess it's going to be Cairo in that spot. Maybe Thomas, one of those two. And then that, and then Krug, that's your first power play unit. That's perfectly fine. Is it going to be what it was a year ago? No, probably not. But last year you were, I mean, among the best in the NHL when it came to what you were able to do on the power play unit. And that was a big part of the success the second unit, though, feels one man short. Thomas and Buchnevich is fine. Letty or Falk probably as your point man for that group. But then I think going into the season, it's probably going to be Barbie as the last guy on that unit. And that's where I think you notice it. I think you notice it when that second unit is out there. And instead of having that final piece that is almost like overqualified to be on a second uh, second power play unit, now it almost feels like you've got a guy out there that maybe shouldn't be out there with your second power play unit. Like the, It sure seems like Barbie's going to be a fourth-line player. How many teams have fourth-line players on their power play unit going into the season? Yeah, I mean, not a lot. Maybe it's Logan Brown that gets that I, chance? I think there's four guys. Maybe Neighbors? Could be, could, yeah, Neighbors is the one. Brown's one. Barbashev's one. And obviously, you know, with the news today of him having a lower body injury, and I don't even know if he was going to make the roster, but I would imagine if he did make the roster, the Blues would try and see if Martin Furk could be a power play guy because the if one— If he even makes the team, That's though. the thing. If he makes the team. But if he did, that would be the spot for him because the guy set the record for hardest shot in the— 
the American Hockey League last season. I think it was at like 108, 109 miles an hour. And so in training camp and a couple of the the, the uh, practices that they've done, like he's he's rifling those one-timers. Luke Korak put a tweet out yesterday about it. Um, but he, I don't even know if he's going to make the team. So I, I think right now you'd have three guys competing for that one spot on the power play in Brown, Neighbors, and Barbashev. The slight edge to Barbashev, I would imagine, because he got those. I mean, he stole the job from Sod a little bit last season on that second power play unit for the Blues. But yeah, I mean, there, there's a there's a hole there that somebody's going to have to um, somebody's going to have to really prove a lot of people wrong with that opportunity. But the good news is you'll be playing with a lot of good players. It's just a matter of making sure you make the right plays. Yeah. So I found this stat. I think this came from uh, the Athletic, if I'm not mistaken. Since 2018, David Perron has earned a point on 77% of all of St. Louis's power play goals. That is the eighth highest rate in the NHL over the last four seasons. I think we're all on the same page here. And maybe it's just an obvious answer, but I think that the Blues are going to miss him so much more on the power play than at five on five. And that's not to suggest that it's not a loss at five on five. Part of what made the line with him and O'Reilly so reliable and so consistent is that both of those guys were just a nuisance with the puck. You'd have David Perron who played the puck control game. And then you'd have Ryan O'Reilly. who was one of the better four checkers at center in the league. And so between the two of them, it was a nightmare. If it is going to be Jordan Cairo that takes that spot at five on five, maybe it could even be a better line. It's possible, but it's going to look a whole heck of a lot different in the way that they go about things with Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, the only way that I think you're going to be able to replace David Perron is if somebody can create a one-time opportunity. I, I really think if they on the don't power play? on the power play, if they don't have that, I think they're going to be in trouble. Puck possession is another massive thing, but that's more even strength than power play. Um, BK of guys who could go into the corners and come away with the puck because there were times last season where other than Perron and O'Reilly, guys were getting beat to the puck way too much. That's something I would imagine they told Jordan Kyra to go in the offseason. Like, you got to be better with puck battles. You cannot get shoved off the puck too easily. Um, and that's going to be another massive key to try and fill those shoes with the Ryan O'Reilly line, which is part of the reason why I wonder if they're going to hope Braden Shen can play that left-wing spot with those two because Braden Chen can win those puck battles, but you have to win puck battles on that line because otherwise you're going to be playing defense in your own zone and those guys are going to be spent by the time they even touch the ice. Somebody asked an interesting question on the text line from the 636. Alex, do any NHL teams run two defensemen on power plays? Think about Perunovic. Maybe he could be somebody that ends up helping in that capacity. We've seen the Blues do this at times Mm -hmm. in the past. It's been inconsistent. They don't do it often because if you can get a guy that has a better shot out there and I mean, they were overqualified with all of their power play units last year. There was no need to throw two defensemen out there most of the season. I could see how it would make sense to go with like sod Thomas Buchnevich and then maybe it's a Letty and a Perunovic on the on the blue line to to be able to bring out like your best passing and your best distributors on that unit. Maybe that's the way you go about it because with Thomas and Buchnevich creating and also Perunovic and whether it be Letty or Falk, one of those two guys, maybe that could make some sense. I don't know that they'll start with that, but if it struggles early on, I could see them going to something like that. Well, Nico Mikola skated on the right side last night, which tells me that I think they're really hoping that Scott Perunovic makes this team. And if that's the case, Scott Perunovic is probably going to be your point man on that one. Who Perunovic is paired with today? Yeah. Justin Falk. Mm -hmm. They've got Perunovic with Falk on that first pairing defensively, and they've got Nick Letty with Kessel. Yeah. Yeah. Mac, uh, Matthew Kessel. He was, uh, he scored the goal in Saturday's game against Arizona minor league guy, but 
Yeah, I, I is mean, is that surprising to you? I, I don't think Perunovic would be skating with Justin Falk. Maybe I'm wrong with this, but I mean, Krug skated with Pareko yesterday, and JR told us that uh, he doesn't believe that that's going to be the pairing. I think they're just, they want Perunovic to play with the best possible outcome, and then Perunovic might be. I, there's a chance that they could go seven defensemen a lot this season, too. I mean, Brewery did it a hell of a lot last season if Perunovic is a good player. from their whole thing of getting the fourth, the fourth line, line identity. Going, so Absolutely. I'd be surprised by that. I'm surprised by it. I don't think it sticks though, because I mean, you're not playing with, you're not playing Letty or Krug on your third pairing because otherwise, I mean, those guys are top four guys for you. Um, Unless they do. Like I'm here's a question for you guys. Would you be totally shocked if Nick Letty's their third pairing defenseman this year? On the left side? I would be because I, I think they want Letty to play with Colton Pareko. I think that's the sole reason they re-signed him is because they need somebody who's reliable to play with Colton Pareko. Is that more yeah. because you don't believe in Perunovic or because you really think that they want Letty to be a top four guy? Because mine is mine is the opposite. Mine is the, I'm not sure I believe in Perunovic enough to make that statement. But I, I mean, you Perunovic, can't believe in Perunovic enough because he's been injured too much. If Perunovic, though, plays well, could totally see him playing in the top four over Nick Letty. If, he, totally see if he steals that job midway through the season, I can see them doing that because Doug Armstrong said that like Perunovic and Colton Pareko would be an ideal pairing together for their future. Does an awful lot for their offseason if they can have Perunovic hit his peak and then say, okay, 100%. let's see if we can move one of these guys. I think to start the season, Perunovic is probably going to be your third pairing guy. But I think if he plays well on the power play and looks good defensively, yeah, I could see him getting the opportunity over Kruger Luddy in the top four. I could see the opportunity. I still think I'm going to lean towards it's going to be Letty that's going to ultimately end up being with Preco. I, I mean, if you didn't think, if you truly thought, and I get it, it's too big a risk because of the injury history, but if you truly thought Pernivich could end up stealing a spot from Nick Letty to be on that top pairing, was it really worth bringing Nick Letty back for four years at the AAV that he had? My opinion, no. All of our conversations that we're having right now would not be had because then you would have had... David Prawn back. I was just surprised that they put Nickel on the right Nickel on the right side because that's telling me that they're they're basically saying we need Perunovic in the lineup yeah. and Mikola and Bortuzzo might be fighting for the seventh defenseman spot. Kind of where I see it as well. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest. Curious to get his perspective on this series for the Cardinals up in Milwaukee. What does he want to find from the two starters that are going to be going over the next couple of days? We'll get into that with Dan in 15 minutes. But next, which rookie is going to play the biggest role for the Cardinals in the playoffs? I think we all probably have the same number one. Who would you put at second on that list? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think I'm going to go with Brendan Donovan because he can play anywhere. He gets on base well. He hits from the left side. He's fast. He has, He's just been doing Brendan. If you just look at what Brendan Donovan has done all season, you'll see why he's so important to the Cardinals in the playoffs. I think his, his contributions to the team, I don't think they're close to where they are now without him. Um, and I know that it's maybe a lot to ask for a young rookie to perform in such a big series so early in his career, but that's what Donovan has been doing all season long. So I think he's more than capable of rising to the occasion. MLB.com asked an interesting question yesterday, Alex, and that was Katie Wu who joined us earlier today. If you missed any of our conversation with her, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
They asked which rookies are going to play the biggest roles in the postseason. And one of the Cardinals did make this list. It was the one that Katie mentioned there. It was Brendan Donovan. They said, quote, for the Cardinals, Donovan has almost as many walks, 55, as he does strikeouts this season, 67. His swing and miss rate of 15% is lower than 95% of the rest of the league. And his walk rate of 13% is higher than 95% of the rest of the league as well. They went on to say that guys that don't swing and miss very often end up playing up typically in the playoffs those contact rates really tend to help because the strikeout pitchers are the ones that you're going to see the most of so a guy like Brendan Donovan profiles as a good playoff performer here are the other rookies that we could go with because I think all of us are on the same page do we all agree Brendan Donovan would be number one on our list of the Cardinals rookie that will probably have the biggest impact in the playoffs I would agree with that Yeah. yeah Here are the other players that qualify as rookies right now. I'm curious who you would have at two and three on this list. Lars Nupar, Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, Ben Delugio, Alec Burleson, and then on the pitching side of things, you've got Andre Pallante and Zach Thompson. Who do you guys think would I do? I just found it funny he put Delugio on the list. <laughs> He's technically a rookie. I know, but I He's found it funny he made I think he list. might make the playoff. He'll roster. have a pinch oh, run he, moment. I, I think he will to either pinch run or be a defensive guy like he has been, yeah. but I still found it funny he's on the list. Because it's amazing no that this is where we've him. arrived. It's funnier that Lo- uh, Nolan Gorman's on that list. <laughs> That's the thing. I think that who has more of an impact yeah. in the playoffs, I think Gorman ben Delugio. or Delugio? Okay, fine. Maybe it wasn't funny that Delugio made the list. Maybe <laughs> yeah. it was actually true. Uh, okay. Who would you have a two and three on your list? Mine would be Lars Nupar. Among Nupar's rookies. Lars Nupar would be two, and honestly, I would have him pretty close with Brendan Donovan because Lars, is have, Lars has that home run power that could be an impactful moment late in a game where you've got two hits and Nupar steps in and hits a bomb. Um, three on the list would be Juan Yepes because I think that the Tyler O'Neill uncertainty, which I think I, I forgot who said it, but if the playoffs were to start like last week, he would have been playing for him. Um, but I do think that Juan Yepes could be a DH, could be an outfield option, but his bat plays. Uh, but so it would be new part two and Yepes three for me. I think I would go Yepes two because I think he, I think his bat has more upside than what Lars Newpar's bat does. And I get it that Newpar provides more defensively, but Yepes I think could be a guy that you could start in the outfield. Newpar could come in late, and Yepes can give you three, four quality at bats. And I think he's looked pretty good since he's been called back up. And he can also be a guy that can come off your bench, and you're going to need a big pinch hit opportunity somewhere. I think Yepes could be that guy too. So I think I would put him at two. And three for me kind of weighs between Palante and Thompson because I just view bullpen arms being so important in the playoffs. Like, you've seen how the bullpens are used in the playoffs, and I think one of those guys, I think it's probably Thompson because I don't think he really has splits like Palante does who has the weird can't-get-right-handers mm-hmm. out. So I think I would put Thompson at number three for me because I think he's the guy that you can bring in like the – Fifth, sixth inning can get you like two innings and then bridge the gap to where you can go then to Matt's, Gallegos, and Helsley. So I think I would put Zach Thompson at number three on my list. We have the same list. I, I have Yepes two and Thompson three as well. And the reason why is because Zach Thompson has been unbelievable since he's returned back to the Cardinals. Casually who could have seen this how one to throw coming? 99. Yeah, who, who could have seen that coming? He, since returning, he's thrown 10 innings basically. He has eight strikeouts in those 10 innings. He's allowed a total of one run. One run. <laughs> since he's returned back to the big league team. I think he's going to be a big weapon for this team in the playoffs. Between him, Mats, and Palante, and that's some pretty good arms that you could throw in those middle innings. And I was worried about those middle innings about a month ago. I no longer have that fear anymore. If you end up having to put a Dakota Hudson out there for an inning, 
I'm totally fine with Dakota Hudson getting you a couple of ground outs. My problem is trying to get him to six or seven innings. That's where we've seen some of those issues mount this season. But if he's walking one guy in an inning, you can limit that damage by getting a ground ball real quick and getting out of that inning. He brings a lot of what we've seen from Andre Puante so far this season. So I would go Thompson as that number three guy for me. And Juan Yepes, I just, I have this feeling that he's going to come up with a big hit in the wild card round. I don't know what it is, but when you get to the playoffs, somebody on the text line said it's all about the small ball. I disagree. I think in the playoffs, it's about slugging. And Juan Yepes Yepes is one of those guys that could absolutely come up with a massive home run, a three-run shot in the sixth inning off of a left-handed pitcher that's coming into the game. He also doesn't have significant splits, so that helps him. But I think Juan Yepes is going to get more starts than we were expecting about a month ago because the other guys have fallen off in the outfield. I think he's going to be a significant contributor going into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think the way you feel about Juan Yepes is how I feel about Large Newt Bar. Makes sense. Defensively, and I think that he screams to me that guy that's going to hit a home run when it's a 0-0 ball game in the eighth inning. Just because we've seen it this season where nobody's hitting and then all of a sudden Large Newt Bar cranks one to right field. So that's that's kind of my devil magic mindset with Large Newt Bar is how you guys feel with Juan Yepes. The only reason I didn't say Newt Bar, and, it, and it's kind of been my stance on him ever since we were starting to talk about peak Lars was because I just think his bat is the fourth outfield type bat. Like, he's a guy that comes in perfectly capable, can fill in for a month when need be, but I don't trust his bat to come up. I don't know if it's just I don't trust his bat to come up in general, or I think he's what he is now where he's like a 215 hitter, has a little bit of pop. I think Yepes is like a probably a positionless player. Ultimately, it will end up being a DH for a team, but I think he's a guy that could have like a good six, seven-year, ten-year career in Major League Baseball as just a bat, and that's why I trust him a little bit more than I trust Lars Nupar going in the playoffs. Yeah, and I... Like, this isn't justified based on their home run numbers or anything like that, but I feel like he has a little more power, just like raw power would, than than Lars Newbar does. With that. I think it's closer than probably what I'm giving it credit for based on what we've seen from Lars so far this season. I mean, he's at 14 home runs on the year, which if you would have told me at the beginning of the season that both he and Nolan Gorman would finish with 14 or more, I would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. But Juan Yepes feels like the kind of guy that could go out there and give you a big-time home run in a big spot uh, going into the playoffs. Somebody on the text line, 65780, says, uh, no, Palante is crazy. He's been their be- arguably their best rookie from start to finish this season. I can't believe that you guys don't have him in the top three. I think the reason why is because there's there's good options. Like This is one of the reasons why the Cardinals are where they're at right now, where tonight they could potentially clinch the division. If you didn't have Palante this year, I'm not sure that this team would be winning the division tonight. Uh, If you didn't have Zach Thompson or Nolan Gorman or Juan Yepes or Lars Nupar, who carried the offense for a period of time, this team could have been in a world of hurt for periods of time this year. All of these guys have had moments, and now it's just about at this point, given what we've seen from them recently, who would you expect to step up in those big moments in the playoffs? And for me, it's Zach Thompson and Juan Yepes. But I don't think, like, if Alex went with... Newt Bar and Palante. I don't think that would have been a wrong option. I think there's a lot of good options here. Yeah, I think having Newt Bar and Yepes on my list was probably kind of contradictory. So I would probably take Yepes off of my list and put Palante or Thompson on. But I think I lean more towards Zach Thompson just because of the velocity of Zach Thompson and what they would use him for. And like, I agree. I don't think Palante, like, you can't go wrong by putting him in this list here. But I, I just think with Palante, you've got those splits and the Cardinals clearly seem to. Uh, I don't know if fear is the right word to use, but they clearly see that. They clearly see that, okay, he's best not against right-handers, so the way they utilize him is going to be more split-oriented. He's not a guy that I can say is locked into the sixth inning no matter who he's going up against. No, if there's two or three straight righties, Plante's not in the game. Unlike with Thompson, 
if it's two righties of potentially three that he has to face at the minimum, I think the Cardinals feel comfortable in turning to Zach Thompson. Same with like uh, Steven Matz, for example, another lefty just like that. You got 15 minutes left to vote on my punishment for this week's Pick'em Challenge. I will serve my Pick'em Challenge punishment from last week coming yeah. up in about an hour from now. If you want to vote, you can do so on the app at one or on the 101 ESPN app or at 101 ESPN on Twitter. Again, you've got 15 minutes left to get those votes in before we reveal my punishment for next week. Coming up next, Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Valley Sports Midwest here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity where Danny Mack is waiting to join us. You can see him on the Cardinals broadcast for Bally Sports Midwest, where tonight there could be potentially some extended post game with the Cardinals, maybe uh, clinching the division if they are able to beat Milwaukee tonight. You can also follow him on Twitter at Danny Mac TV. Dan, we appreciate the time as always, man. Do you think that the Cardinals will get it done tonight in Milwaukee? Well, I know they're hungry too. Uh, I can tell you that they they really want to do this, wrap it up here in Milwaukee. I think there's a a hunger factor with that. I mean, guys are fired up. They want to do it on the turf of the Brewers and uh, and pick up what would be their their 12th division title since the uh, NL Central was formed back in 1994. So there is a I think a little bit of a sense of urgency of trying to get this thing done, realign the rotation, get some guys off their feet, get them rested and get them ready to go for postseason play. That's what I wanted to follow up with. How big are these two starts for Michaelis and Quintana as we start looking towards what that wild card rotation could look like for the Cardinals? Well, for me, they'd, they'd be in, um, you know, Michaelis has pitched well. His last time out was very good against San Diego. His second half hasn't been like the first half, but there's some question marks right now. You know, most notable would be Wayno. And then Jordan Montgomery has not looked good in three starts. So it's always flowing and, you know, kind of always evolving into different things when you go through a six month series, uh, a season. So when you go into that first series um, and Ali hasn't been shy about, you know, ruffling feathers or saying, Hey, I'm sorry, but this is the direction we got to go. He may have to do that in that first round and, and see how it all lines up. But I, I would think though, that they're going to want to get everybody one more start, see how they look. And that includes Flaherty who by my estimation and seeing what he did in the last three to four innings um, in San Diego puts himself potentially in the conversation, but you'd have to look at guys that have gotten you to this point. And Adam's in that conversation. Michaelis is in that conversation. Quintana's in that. And certainly uh, Jordan Montgomery. So we'll see how it plays out. Dan, kind of a follow-up to what you talked about earlier too, about the, if they clinch tonight, what kind of implications do you think could be for these roster players? Do you think that certain guys could get multiple days off between now and the end of the season? I do, um, especially now that Nolan Arenado has gotten to 30 and at 100. So that's that's check that off the box. Um, Goldie, now it's going to be tough for him to win that round with guys running away with the home runs and um, and the runs batted in with Pete Alonso. He's certainly in the conversation, though, for a batting title. That would be something to look at here uh, going down the, the stretch. But these guys are team players, and they know if it's to their benefit to get off their feet and to to get rest, then they're going to do it. But one of the things they got to do is they got to get Goldie right, and he's not swinging the bat well. So it might be beneficial for him to play and 
continue to grind through and trying to get his timing back. Dan, I wanted to ask you about Tommy Edmond because I think he kind of gets lost in the shuffle this year when you when we talk so much about Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, and for good reason. Those guys have been incredible from start to finish this, this year. This guy's one of the MVPs of the team. Tommy is. Absolutely, and he's now one double away from getting to 20, or excuse me, 30 doubles and 30 stolen bases in back-to-back season. The last Cardinal to do that was Lonnie Smith about 40 years ago, and the only Cardinal to do it in three straight seasons in the history of the franchise was Lou Brock from 67 to 69. Can you put in context for us, Dan? You've seen a lot of Cardinals baseball over the last you know 40-plus years. What are we seeing right now from Tommy Edmond? I think he's he should finish, in my opinion, in the top 10 or top 15 of the National League MVP. And people would say, you're out of your mind. Well, go back and look at advanced metrics of where he's at with how he's played shortstop, how he plays second base. If you need to put him in the outfield, you could do it. You just gave some of the numbers that uh, he's done offensively. I really believe that. Um, He's been that good. It's just he plays on a team that you've got five potential Hall of Famers, and one just had a milestone moment that will I don't know if we're ever going to see that again in my lifetime of 700 home runs. The other guy, for the better part of the year, had triple crown aspirations. He might be the MVP. Nolan Arenado, I think, is the best third baseman I've ever seen. So you're going to get overshadowed when you have this kind of stuff going on. And oh, by the way, Yachty and Wayno were going for a record and got there. And it's just, you know, I mean, you're going to get overshadowed. It's just human nature. But if he was on a lesser team and doing this, I think people would be talking about that. Uh, but he's not, and he's a great piece to the puzzle of what they have built here in St. Louis with another homegrown talent putting up big numbers. And I think it's awfully impressive when you look at the position he plays, the demands of playing shortstop every day, and the fact that they move him all over the place in the lineup. And, and that shouldn't be overlooked. I mean, I, I know a lot of people will look and say, you know, well, you do this against lefties, that against righties, and this, that, and the other, and this guy moves here. And that, I mean, you can plug, plug and play, right, when you're, when you're playing armchair quarterback. But from a player's perspective, it does change at times how you approach the pitcher or the at-bat in the situation that you're in. So don't overlook that, too. It's something that's very important. Dan, what's also been impressive this season has yeah. been the contributions from the younger players, the rookies. We just had this conversation, so I'm curious your thoughts. If you had to pick one rookie in the postseason who was going to have a massive impact, who would it be? I'll go Donovan. Uh, I think he could because he could be your everyday second baseman. And the fact is, lefty-righty, he's going to give you a great at-bat, and he draws walks. He had, As of last week, he had the highest on-base percentage of any rookie in baseball. It was like 390 or something like that. It was crazy. Um, and I love the fact that when you watch postseason baseball, you really think about it. Uh, and I use this word a lot, and it's probably not the right word to use, but you grind through an at-bat. You know, you're not giving away at-bats, not to say that guys do, but he's not going to just sit there on the first pitch and roll over uh, outside corner and roll it over to second base. I mean, it may happen, but it's rare when it does. He makes you work, and that's something that you have to have in postseason play, players that make you work to get into bullpens, to get Max Scherzer out of a game, to get DeGrom out of a game. If you can do that, you have a chance to win and steal games from the opposition that look to be lopsided because of what they have on the mound. So he's a real key piece in what the Cardinals have done this year. Danny Mack is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Dan, in a best-case scenario in your mind, what is the Cardinals' outfield construction against righties going into the playoffs? 
I think they have to find out where Tyler O'Neill is. And until we know that, I can't really answer that question. Um, and you're running really out of time here. Yeah. You got O'Neill, you know, you could see him this weekend, see him against Pittsburgh next week. And if he catches fire, I'm riding that hot hand. But if not, I'm looking at Corey Dickerson against right-handers playing out left. I would have to look at if there's a uh, lefty on the mound, maybe it's it's Dylan Carlson getting you know a little run here, which they're trying to find out. I don't think it's Alec Burleson against a righty. Um, and, and that's the way I would do it, kind of the way he's done it here down the stretch, is try to mix and match. It's not ideal, but when you don't have O'Neal in there every day playing against lefties or righties and you don't know where he's at physically, it's tough to answer that question until you see him come back. And I, and I mean that I'm not trying to avoid your question. No, it's I fair. I just think you got to find out where Tyler O'Neill is. And then we've been waiting all year to say, Hey, can we see the guy that was in September and the player of the month? And I think there's been, you know, glimpses of that and series of that, but he just hasn't been able to stay on the field. And that's been the biggest problem. Dan, with Dickerson's, I don't want to say struggles, but coming back to earth a little bit offensively, would you give consideration to Yepes in the outfield? I I know what the defense is, so I get it, but. Oh yeah, I I would. I I think the, you know, if you're tied or you're, you're uh, with the lead, I think you can try to get him two or three at bats and then he's out of there and then go with your best defensive club, which would include Tyler O'Neill if healthy. Um, But then the other part of this is that if you're, you know, uh, if you're trying to catch up, it becomes a fine balance of taking that chance of putting him in the outfield with the fact that maybe he walks into one because he's a, a better offensive player than some of the other options. So I think a lot of times game will dictate that with a lead tied or not. Um, but at this point, I, I, I'm, I'm wanting to see him catch fire here a little bit and keep him in that lineup because he's a threat. There's no question about it. He's a threat. And, uh, and you haven't mentioned Albert Pujols. And yes, I would play him against lefties or righties. Absolutely. I'm just going to go out on a limb and do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that guy's starting every day. Yeah. He's not yeah. all, all he said at best, when I put together my winning lineup, Albert Pujols is in it, and it doesn't matter who's on the mound. He's 100% correct no on that. No, no doubt. And it's been awesome to see. I would imagine he's in there tonight. And I think this weekend, guys, is going to be a weekend that we never forget, too. I know we're going off a different tangent here, maybe what you guys wanted to talk about. But the the final home weekend for Yachty and Albert, maybe even Wayno, is going to be pretty much fun to to be a part of and, and to see. And it'll be historic, I bet, too. What do you think that Sunday is going to be like, Dan? Like, take take us through your emotions as you're watching that as well. Because, I mean, you, you've seen these guys basically from start to finish now. Sunday, final game at Bush Stadium in the regular season, potentially for all three of those guys with Wayno on the mound. What's that going to be like? I think emotions for a lot of people. I, I think it's going to be tear shed for a lot of people. I think there's going to be goosebump moments. Um, I think the pregame ceremony will be great. And I can tell people now officially – uh, get down to the ballpark early, 1230. There's going to be an on-field ceremony for Yachty and for uh, Albert, and, and they'll have a special guests of their family and friends that will be in attendance. There's going to be uh, some of the red uh, jacket guys. Uh, the Hall of Famers will be back. Uh, they'll be presented with some gifts. So it's going to be a, 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 just an incredible moment. I mean, I was there at Ozzy's farewell at 96, and it was, it was very emotional for a lot of people, and I would imagine that uh, – It'll be emotional for a lot of people uh, on Sunday as well. And it'll be a one of those days that you, you never forget if you're at the ballpark or even watching on TV. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that, Dan. We'll be watching all the coverage over on Bally Sports Midwest, including tonight where the Cardinals could clinch the division title in Milwaukee. We appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week.
Always a pleasure, guys. See you then. You got it. That's Danny Mac joining us here on 101 ESPN. Cardinals versus Brewers tonight at 640 on Bally Sports Midwest. Do you think this is the end of Wayno? Man, I heard Claves <laughs> talk about it earlier today, too. Two weeks ago, if you asked I, me that exact same question, I would say no chance. No chance. It wasn't his performance on the mound that makes me question that. It's his post-game press conferences that we've seen lately that make me really wonder if he wants to do this again. I, I was talking about this off-air with Tanner earlier today. I want to get your thoughts on this too, Alex. I, I wonder if there is something in him that says, I'm not sure I can do this for 162. And if I can't do it for 162, I'm more of a like 100 game type of a pitcher. So 25 starts, something like that. I'm not sure he wants to do that. I think he's the type of guy that says, I'm either all in or all out. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know if I was to lean one way or the other right now. I think it all comes down to that Sunday start. I think if he performs well on Sunday, he might come back next year. I think there's a better than 50% chance that he's back. If he doesn't, and then he ends up not being a part of the wild card rotation, I think this is probably it. I think this is it. And I know he made the comments of wanting to chase after that number that was set by the Cardinals pitcher um, in all-time wins. But the way he speaks... And I know it's dead arm, and that's what they keep talking about. But the fact that he's saying he's frustrated and he's trying to pitch through it and he can't pitch through it, and maybe an offseason fixes this, I'm with you. Wayno is not the type of person that says, I'll come back and and chase that number and then retire. He's either 162 plus or he's not coming. And I don't think he's going to be able to do that. And maybe this is me doubting, and hopefully he takes this and uses it as energy. But I think Sunday might be the final final straw for Adam Wainwright. I, I lean towards he'll be back. I, I still believe that he'll be back. I just think this is one of those phases that pitchers go through, and I think Wayno will ultimately find his stuff. We were talking about this in the office, as you mentioned, BK. I can't remember the last time I saw a father time catch an athlete in like the middle Mid-season. of a season. It's a good point. It, it happens at the beginning. It is, it is true. It comes up and catches everybody. I remember Peyton Manning is one example that we brought up in the office. Yeah. Well, his caught him at the beginning of the year and just lasted the whole year, and you could tell he was done. I still think Adam Wainwright has more to give to the St. Louis Cardinals organization. I think he'll be back for one more final year. I think next year is his final year, and he chases for 200. I think the tough part with Wayno is so much of what he's doing right now is, if not unprecedented, it's it's very rare where he had that like a brief period in his career where it looked like it was over towards the back end, and then he had another three years on the back end of that where it just looked like he was one of the best pitchers in baseball once again. And maybe he's just different in the way that it ends for him, and it ends abruptly, and it's kind of going back. This reminds me of what he looked like in that like 2017, 2018 range where it looked like it was gone. So I, I hope that that's wrong. And I hope that it ends up just being a dead arm where caught him for five starts and he ended up getting it back. And by the playoffs, he's great. I hope that ends up being what it is. But if this sustains, man, I I do think there would be serious questions as to whether or not he's back going into next year. Coming up next, will the BK and Ferrario rewind, including our official results of what my punishment will be next week. I have a feeling I'm not going to enjoy it. We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hey, when you lose, we should have someone else intro the He's rewind. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 
I suck at picks. I lose every week. They're starting to call it the BK uh, Invitational, where everybody just gets their shots at me every single week. Have you thought about, like, making your dog make the picks for you this upcoming week? I have thought about everything. Yes, Alex, I I absolutely have. By the way, join join Randy Carricker this Thursday at Chick-fil-A. That'll be more fun than what I'm about to have after the show as we help raise funds to support Big League Impact. This Thursday, place a mobile order through the Chick-fil-A app at any participating St. Louis area location, and 25% of all of those order sales will go to the Big League Impact St. Louis if up to $10,000 is raised. That includes their repair location where Randy's going to be hanging out, giving away a one-on-one ESPN swag Thursday morning from 11 a.m. all the way up until 1 p.m. right during the middle of our show. Chick-fil-A located at 11997 Manchester. Support Big League Impact this Thursday with Chick-fil-A and 101 ESPN. All right, it is the moment that uh, I haven't really been waiting for, but you all have been. It's time to announce announce last week's Pick'em Challenge Punishment. If you forgot, the three options were I will either stand on the corner of Olive for an hour in a costume that says, or with a sign that says, I suck at picks. The costume will say it too. Don't worry, buddy. Yeah, I know. Uh, option two, push a football slide the full length of the football fields. Carrie Davis yells at us. Or option three, I am handcuffed it, while we are doing the show all week long. Alex, the results are in. You have them. I do not. What are the results, my Over friend? Over 600 votes, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, 160 of them on our 101 ESPN app. So way to go, listeners. Uh, in third place with 24% of the votes, Carrie Davis yelling at you while you push the football sled. I guess people think I'm in shape. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> in second place. With 32% of the vote. So this is a clear-cut winner. Second place, 32% of the votes. Standing on Olive in a costume with a sign. So ladies and gentlemen, 44% of you voted. BK for an entire week starting on Monday will have to be handcuffed together for the entirety of the show. And this means using his mouse, using his keyboard, going to the bathroom, wanting to get some drinks. This man will have fuzzy handcuffs handcuffed himself together for an entire week for sucking at football picks. Let's go to the uh, press conference. BK, how you feeling? Yeah, not great. Uh, this one's going to make it difficult for me during the show. I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. Upfront and honest, anything that happens during the show next week, it is not my fault. It is the fault of Alex and Tanner for making me do this with the uh, handcuffs during the show. Might make it's going to make better. it really difficult for me to you know, do my job. So I'm sure everything will be fine, but it's not ideal. I would also add that I'm not feeling good about the punishment that's about to take place in 30 minutes. You can watch it on Facebook Live, from what I understand, coming up right around 2.30, 2.45 in that range. I'm going to get shot not once but twice. Yeah. I do not have any padding, so I'm sure this is going to go great. Other than that booty. Alex has a uh, paintball gun that he has brought in today. So Tanner and Alex will both get a shot at my my butt, and I'm sure everything's going to go great. Yeah, hopefully we hit there. <laughs> they're, they're pink paintballs too, buddy, so I... Got those for you. That's nice. A little yeah. and a little arc to the equation. Yeah, I got those for you. Why are we doing this? Hey man, all three why of us did, agreed to I all of these punishments. And by the way, I think we're getting the two toughest ones out of the way in terms of pain. The rest of these, with the exception of one of them, the rest of these are just embarrassing. I would prefer the embarrassment, honestly. 
Like, um, I'm good with that. That's my my entire MO on this show is come well, take shots at me. The best part but just of, not with a paintball The best cut. part about <laughs> it is you're going to get the best of both worlds later on today. Pain and embarrassment. Can't wait for it. But with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be on Facebook Live coming up at 2.30-ish. Go ahead and stay tuned for that. The Fast Lane's coming up from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.